Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer. We do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C Certified Brand. Welcome to episode 17, big milestone of BAOS Podcast. And today, Ladies and gentlemen, we are doing something a little bit different. As you can tell, this is not a brewery. Uh, we are here at Rosewood Winery in Beamsville, Ontario, mm-hmm. with Will, who's general manager and beekeeper, bees, and Ryan, winemaker. Gentlemen, thank you so much for having us here. Thank you. Pleasure. Um, so I assume that to most of you guys are going to be like, why are we a beer podcast at a winery? <laughs> um, we have visited here before, and uh, as for, I personally feel you guys are like the bellwoods of wine you guys are doing stuff that big words it's a, it's a big call and you know, man wouldn't say it if you didn't mean it you guys are doing some super 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 interesting cool stuff including working with bellwoods as you'll see here uh and a bunch of other breweries and stuff so i really want to get into and also the the crazy wine styles and working with uh cider companies as well like you guys are really pushing the boundaries of what wine is and um i really feel like this is something that needs to be shared you know to our audience you're really you know this is if you're into beer a craft beer i feel like you'll be into good wine too, generally. It's a crossover. That's a little flavor um, at the end of the day, right? That's it. If you like flavor, you like good food, you like good everything, it all kind of comes together. So we have a lot to talk about and clearly we have a lot lot to get through. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe we'll start with cracking something. Yes. And then um, we'll get into some stories. We can start with the uh, new local beer. Uh, you know, this is the uh, Balls Falls IPA from Bench Brewing. Yes. Uh, also, like their beans uh, over there. Yeah, they, they just opened up uh, while starting to brew some beers. Um, so they are relatively new to the game. Perfect. Um, but they are making some really, really cool killer products that are close by to us. Fantastic. And uh, we think they're going to be a great addition to the... Uh, a uh, great addition to the uh, just to the area, right? Yeah. To the actual region itself, they have some really big plans for what they want to do with the beer garden and uh, just the style of beer they want to make and stuff. I think it's going to be awesome. And they seem just like really, really cool people. They really want to work with local producers, work with local wineries and farmers, and make some awesome product. And uh, oh, yeah. you can't you can't argue with something like that. Not at all. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. And you guys have definitely got some plans to be uh, collaborating with them in the future. Yeah, in the future, yeah, we'd love to. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, like to touch on what Will said about expanding with the wineries, their fooders that they use uh, for fermentation actually were previously right. used by a winery in Niagara. Right. <coughs> so, um, so there's yeah, already a tie interest in what they're doing across yeah, yeah, exactly. the region, right? Yeah. So, uh, Coles, this is session IPA. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Get here. Got a great nose. Solid. I haven't had this one for ages. This yeah, is definitely like, like our everyday drinking beer that we yeah, have in the wine. Nice yeah, this is our good harvest beer. So uh, harvest beer. Takes, there's an old uh, old term uh, in the wine world, you know, it takes a lot of good beer to make a lot of good yes. wine. Yes, I mean, we only heard and, that like uh, this year. Yeah, yeah. It's, such a, it's, it's such a popular a, one. Yeah, and it's true. <laughs> it's so true. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're working with wine and, you know, if you've heard some of the horror stories of harvest in terms of the hours and days that we work, um, and this year was no exception to that rule. Uh, <laughs> Uh, like I said, I just saw his, his shaved face or yeah. shaved <laughs> for the first time. It's crazy. Time. But, um, it's kind of scary. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, <laughs> you know, you're dealing with grapes and wine and talk and decision making. And, you know, you're worried about grapes that are rotting on the vines or you're worrying about the weather coming and all this stuff and worrying about fermentations that are happening and stuff. And there's only so much of that wine talk you can take. Yeah. And, and you need you an outlet. So beer uh, is a great outlet for it where it's just like, you know what, let's just crush a beer. And oh, yeah. so, um, yeah, it's really, really around often, and uh, we have a lot of fun with that for sure. Fantastic. And you guys, would, would you consider yourselves like craft beer people? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, totally. This goes hand in hand or is it something that was like a separate? I, I think it was, I mean, when you're into wine from a younger age too and you're spoiled with so many options around you, you want to just continuously taste and try new things. So I think, I mean, our generation is much less brand loyal than previous generations. Definitely and instead, true. it's more about trying to always try new things, new styles that you may not have known about or that you think you wouldn't like because just like wine, you never write off one grape, say, oh, I don't like Chardonnay. You just well, you haven't shouldn't. tried one that... Yeah, yeah, yeah you shouldn't. <laughs> you maybe just haven't had one from a producer that you like or a style that you like. So, right. um, Good point. Yeah, same with, with beer. With right? beer is the same, yeah. yeah, for me anyway. No, I yeah. agree with that. Uh, definitely people would write, oh, I don't like IPAs or I don't like dark beers. And yeah. like, well, yeah. keep trying. Because yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't like a lot of that stuff. Coming Rude, into yeah. it, like yeah, it's an acquired taste, and as mm-hmm. you sort of try more, that you appreciate the nuances, and that sort of happened. I think even wine is uh, even harder to get into because I feel like more people I find it's a little more intimidating. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's not beer is a huge, huge topic to talk about. You know, it's there's so many different styles of beer from around the world and regions, and, and new come new ones coming up every single day. Um, with wine, you're talking about thousands of grape types. You know, yeah. narrowed down to a couple key dozen types of grape. Uh, grapes as varietals and then the styles of those that are coming into but you look at a wine list and the problem with, with looking at a wine list at a restaurant is that they can be formatted completely differently right. from one list yeah, to a different and so yeah there's none between restaurant and restaurant so I think that uh, as a topic wine is very misunderstood by, by the general consumer and so they're very intimidated by it and they feel almost um, like they don't want to engage in it more so they just don't and right. that's an intimidating factor to it. So um, it's something that I think that we need to try as an industry and as as uh, producers and consumers alike work towards fixing that or to work towards a better resolution of that. Right. That's why I like what we're, what we're doing for products is that we're trying to be really casual about it. We're trying to be really inviting. Mm-hmm. We want people to come and to taste and to learn. And we don't want to use big words or uh, descriptors like quince or something like that that no one knows. Like, <laughs> knows what a quince tastes like. Exactly. Like You don't need to describe wines in such a way that no one can understand. That that right. pushes people away. You want to bring people Very in. True. That's why like we wear plaid and we wear, you know, we're just simple yeah. people trying to make delicious product um, in a very serious way, but have fun while we're doing it to attract people to the industry. 100%. That's I, what I'm I'm really all about. That's fantastic. And when we actually, you mentioned when we met Ryan in uh, July, you were in a Stone City hat. I'm like, yeah. right, this, yeah. this is going to go down nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So one question before we sort of get into your personal stories, this is one thing I've, I've thought of before that, I feel like craft beer is kind of, you know, beer is always kind of being like the common person's drink and always sort of looked down upon to a degree in the last, arguably in Ontario or Canada in general, in the last five years. Mm-hmm. I've been into it about seven, so I'm still a new newbie in, in comparison, but it's just skyrocketed as far as the styles, as far as, you know, how many breweries there are. And, you know, every almost every person I know is sort of at least doubled. Yeah. And uh, it seems to have potentially overtaken wine as far as like a, in the complexities and the sort of the, the variances and all the different crazy stuff that breweries are doing, you know, whether it's worldwide or locally. So do you guys feel that like you guys are the closest thing we've felt to, and I'm not just saying this cause we're sitting here with you. Like, you know, Tiff has a wine blog, you know, liquid happiness that, you know, you guys are already speaking about before you guys was chatting online before. And, um, I can't remember if we tried it. We tried any Rosewood stuff beforehand. We just came in for the first time because we were like, finally, because of Instagram, okay. Because your Instagram is cool. lit. Follow, follow <laughs> Rosalie. Instagram is fantastic. Um, so when we came and we every time we come to Niagara, we always sort of feel like we always learn something. Always come out with uh, you know some new information and always find. And you guys are just 
like really grabbed us with, I mean, there was the beer connection mm-hmm. for me personally. And then, because we've been in so many breweries when we came back and Ryan gave us the tour and like jumping up on the barrels and mixing stuff. I'm like, man, this is crazy. And it just really felt like you guys have this energy about you that are, um, I haven't really seen in a lot of places. So do you guys feel that like, you know, is wine starting to be like, shit, like beer is like killing us right now because people, are, it's more, <laughs> it's for everyone. And then wine, are, and it's to just me a little more, for lack of a better word, like pretentious. And like you said, a little bit like there's a hard to sort of yeah. get past that barrier. Do you guys feel that maybe wine is now like, all right, guys, it's time. Beer is starting to like get a grip. We have to start to innovate more. Uh- Personally, I think for me, it's always just as a winemaker trying to approach things of we're a young industry. Uh, I, myself, and William, we're both, we studied wine, but we're both young. There's so much to learn and taste that now we have the opportunity to play around with it and try to understand where brewers, um, yeah. Yeah, keep going, bro. Brewers, there was that old saying that where, uh, Brewers are kind of more like bakers in that you play around with the recipe, you fine tune it, and then you kind of, you perfect it and you replicate it. Right. Whereas with winemaking, you have to be a little more almost like a chef where you're reactive. Your, your raw ingredients are what's most important. You know, you can make, you can make shit wine from good fruit, but you can't make uh, good wine from shit fruit. Gotcha. Right? So it's kind of working with that fruit and you have to play around with it. So that's why... With me, I like when I taste things, I like to really understand how they got these layers, these complexities. And at Rosewood, we're able to, you know, play around with different barrels, wild yeast strains, different grapes, different fermentation vessels to achieve different elements of texture or flavor. And uh, I think, you know, with a new generation of wine consumer too, people are, they really want to understand the story, right? right? Less about uh, reputation of a, you know, pretentious chateau sort of thing and be like who's behind it what are they doing differently and you know um why you why do i like what i'm tasting here in the glass so we just try and be as uh open and honest about everything that we do with the wines and the brand um because people want to know people have to ask us questions if we have to step in and you know add selected yeast or sulfur or filter or something we'll we'll tell you that there's a great saying um one guy, Clark Smith, he says, don't be dogmatic about natural or, you know, all about super innovation technology. Never do anything to a wine that you're not willing to admit to your customers. Hmm. So that's Good sort point. of, uh, yeah, that's our outlook anyway. Right. Uh, yeah. Do Just, you guys feel you're innovating? Like, do you feel like we were talking a little beforehand? Yeah. I mean, because you guys seem to be doing things like aging, like the, is the Chardonnay or Riesling? That you uh, Chardonnay. Oh, Chardonnay. Riesling, a couple of different things. Different ones. Yeah. But you're doing things like, you know, which we'll get into probably more detail as far as like, you know, taking what something traditionally would just have this like step-by-step process that everyone follows. But you're like, no, I want to split it into new oak, old oak, steel, whatever, and then blend that back together for yeah. this whole new complex approach to a wine that's... Trid- yeah. not traditionally done that way. So you guys feel that? Yeah, you know, uh, or do you, innovation, do you feel that the industry isn't innovating as opposed to you innovating? That'd be the second part. I think it's a combination of A and B, a little bit of both, because okay. to be honest, um, we've always been innovating here because of our honey wines. You know, at first in the industry, we were kind of seen as like the ugly black, black duck thing because we we're making honey wines. And right. we had some other wineries that were like, oh, honey wines, let's see how long that lasts. <laughs> and even though it's the world's oldest fermented beverage, it's still around, you know, we're making it. 
Um, but we're still here, you know, 10 years later making this, these honey wines that uh, some people didn't believe in. And right. uh, we have notable examples of stuff that we're selling through quickly and that's delicious and stuff that's super unique and rare where it's like truly innovation in its finest form, right. um, like with Old Smoky that we can get into. Can get to. Um, you know, innovation and making new products has always been at the forefront of what we do here. It's even with our honey products. We make smoke honey. I don't know if you guys just, know that we make no. we, we just smoke the honey in the jar. It's called smoked honey. Yeah, is it, that what that is? This is just liquid honey right. here, but right. we, we do that. And that's like we even innovate on on stuff that's non-alcoholic right. as well, right? Like it's it's and that's something that I think is fostered down in our company is that uh, we have this open book forum. Not only we're we transparent with our products and what we do to them, but the fact of that if we have an idea and we want to execute on it, we can just do it. Right. We have the tools, we have the, the knowledge and the skill, and if we have the time, we should do it. And I think Nebulous um, here, this pet net, is a clear example of that. Last year... It's not exactly clear. Well, yeah, <laughs> well it's not clear. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Ryan last year was his first harvest with us in 2016, and uh, Ryan came up to me and said, well, we have a set of grapes, you know what, they're not going the way I hoped they would have to make this table wine. Mm-hmm. How about we try this? And he explained what this would be or how it would be made, and he openly said, I've never made it before. I, I don't know what I'm doing, but so I want to try it out. And, and, I, and I ran the numbers in my head and, and said, what, else, what, other, what other equipment do we need to complete this process in this package? And we ran the numbers and we said, okay, you know what? If this works, this works. If it doesn't, we at least hopefully learn a thing or two. Hmm. And we went for it and we had this product that we ended up selling out in, I think it was like six or seven weeks. Right. Um, that was, that was awesome. And, and to date, I still think it's the most Instagrammed, Facebooked, and Twittered label that we've ever produced. And it's one of the smallest run labels that we've ever made amazing so i think that is something really interesting to look at um to see how people enjoyed it and for what it actually was um and we'll talk more about when we get there but i think it was really cool and and as a producer i think it's important when we work with a winemaker especially someone like ryan who's so passionate about making interesting and cool products because he also wants to learn more about wines is that we don't refrain him from doing so right if we clip his wings and we don't allow him to really to stretch and to run with something then he's going to get bored of course. You know, yeah. and, and then that's where innovation stops. And so, you know, Great we point. never would have tasted this and we never would have tasted this. We never would have had this or Old Smoky if we had this closed mind mentality of saying, oh, you know what? We, we only do things this way. We're not going to experiment and play with new things and, and that's it. But we don't right. have that idea here. Um, as long as we can justify our actions to, uh, to the powers that be then they're willing to give us the, the reins and to run with it. And I think that's what's super awesome about it. And I think why Ryan, uh, I think in the beginning, really enjoyed working with us, that he saw that happening uh, right. with what we do. And uh, yeah, and the industry traditionally would put a winemaker in a box. Without speaking specifically, would you say in general, or is it kind of... Yeah, humor? I mean, it, it, every, just like breweries, um, every winery with your modus operandi, your emission statement has a different demographic and target gotcha. market. And I think with a lot of the, we're a young winery, young wine region, but a lot of the original wineries um, have scaled up in size to appease a different demographic of wine drinker. Uh, it was interesting when the industry started off because we were really a, an area, Niagara in general, of wine consumers before we were wine producers. Right. So in the early days when things came out, you know, we had wineries trying to cater their winemaking style to make an Australian Shiraz or an Napa Valley Chardonnay. And it ends up when you try and, you know, imitate other regions or, you know, manipulate a wine too much by putting it in this box of, you know, preconceived notions, you end up with the idea of what that wine is, but not, you know, the inherent nature. I don't know, I'm getting this esoteric here. No, I like it. Um, Yeah, so with the younger crowders who aren't, you know, used to just drinking 
Yellowtail, Shiraz, or you yeah. know, uh, we like to the some of the Napa Valley shards that we like to call Chateau Two by Four because you feel like you're, <laughs> you're digging splinters out of your teeth. Um, but this this uh, new demographic, they want to try new things, you know. Right. So, and at this a place like this, we don't have uh, you know fifty thousand shareholders to you know respond peas. Yeah, yeah, we make exactly. we make eight thousand cases of wine a year, right. which seems like a huge amount, but in the area is pretty small. Right. And so if, you know, we try some experiments that maybe we, you know, fine tune or do differently the year after, there's people out there who enjoy it, you know, and like different things too. These like wines that are, aren't as manipulated or are reflective of their particular point in time in this vintage. Right. Because William and myself have done harvests at different wine regions that let's call them more or less consistent year after year in terms of their growing conditions. Niagara is anything but that. Right. Uh, so when yeah when you make wines in a style like we do by staying as hands-off as possible not trying to impart as a winemaker and trying to impart my own mark on something you end up with a product yeah it's very vintage specific and very reflective of its particular point in time um like we call them they're truly like artifacts right and it's not just me you know it's it's everybody on the team uh everyone who works in the in the vineyards um the harvest interns, the sales staff, everyone can impart that sort of energy and feeling on something. And then we have this proof that, you know, we were here. Right. So. That's sick. Um, let's crack the next one. Are we sure. going to go to Nebulus or do you want to go to... Um, you go could, to let's call it Cotton Bells. Cotton Bells. Cotton Bells. No, you're right. Sorry, you call it Cotton Bells. So let's talk about uh, how this collab came about. So this one impressed me greatly um, because, you know, Bells collaborated with Trillium out of uh, Massachusetts, and um, you guys were part of that, Brad. Can you tell us how this one came about? Because this was a huge deal for Canada, period. Yeah. Um, to be able to. That's the first, isn't it? Like one of the first um, cross-border or international beer collabs that happened. Um, it potentially could have been. I think more the deal with. Um, here's a little bit more. This is uh, this is gold. We can't waste a drop. <laughs> Um, do you know, funny enough, a friend of mine uh, thinks this tastes like cocaine. <laughs> Interesting. He was like, it just, it just tastes like coke. And, like, <laughs> and now I can't not taste it mm. every time I, I, I drink it. Yeah, it's that... Uh, um, it's like this, what is it? Um, biased uh, opinion almost, you know, you get that precursor set in yeah, place like, and form, you always taste it. You ruined it for me. So how did you guys, because you guys provided the honey for it. Yeah, so... Um, so Luke, cheers. Uh, yeah, cheers. 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 Cheers, guys. This still held up really well. Yeah, I think I'm, I could prefer this now after uh, a little a bit, bit more. Longer, right? Yeah, but I can taste the honey more. I feel like it's got this different mm -hmm. profile yeah. now. Um, yeah, break Luke and down. I met Luke and I originally met a while ago actually at West Avenue Cider. So that's uh, this place here, the cidery that we also work with, and where we um, buy some heritage cider juice um, for some of our own products. And uh, you know, I was chasing tequila barrels from him back okay. in the day, and. Uh, that conversation kind of just stalled and, stalled and stopped and never went anywhere. And then eventually I just messaged him. I got his email from Chris, so the guy behind West Avenue, because uh, I was looking for something else. I can't remember what it was now. And it just, the conversation went to uh, Honey and he said he wants Honey. So I said, okay, here's Honey. 
Um, so sold him some honey and then he said he's going to make this with it. And I was okay. like, just honored that he wanted to use our honey to make something like this with yeah. this, uh, international collab, um, especially with a company like Trillium, you know, oh, it's yeah. really fantastic. Huge. Like that's Massive. the unheard of yeah. part. Like I think there has been international collabs, but like being a brewery is esteemed and sort of hyped that literally they have wines mm. at the door every yeah. day and all they do is tweet like yeah, X amount of cases left or it's only a one hour wait today. And yeah. Like, it's insane. Yeah. And, like, uh, so I was super honored, you know, as a beekeeper, uh, to have our honey used in such a way. I think it's so cool to have a farming aspect that produces a, a, a resource or a good that can then, or a commodity that can be used. And then it's not only used, but it's used in such a beneficial, positive light to attract local awareness to local business and local brews. Uh, it's just really, really cool. I think yeah. it's fantastic. And uh, and so that's kind of where it all went from there. And then from there, the Bell was connected with Luke. Luke and I talk regularly now every so often about what, what he's going on, what he's doing in his cellar. He's wondering what we're doing here because he wants to use grapes that we have or um, grape skins after we're done fermentation with them and all this kind of stuff. He wants, fantastic. he's got a lavender and honey uh, beer that he's working on. It's already nice. finished and bottled. Uh, it's going to be a spring release. With early. our lavender, yeah? Yeah, our yeah. lavender, yeah. So we grow culinary and French lavender. So mm-hmm. culinary is the uh, English lavender, French lavender is the um, aromatic Provencal style lavender. Um, it's a huge amount of camphor. It, it's like the really, really stinky stuff or smelly stuff. Yeah. Um, so we provided English lavender for him because that's what we wanted to use for it. Use for it. And uh, he made this awesome beer. It's uh, a little bit higher on the alcohol scale, um, but they're going to play with it a bit. But they've got it bottled and dialed in, and it's going to be, uh, he said, he, he said it might be even a late January release. So, so by the um, time you see this, yeah, this would probably yeah. be around the same time. So. Possibly, yeah. Check out those guys. Uh, yeah, it'll be All fun. Right. I'm excited to try it in, in this finished form because I had it in a raw form and it was really, really cool because I've never had lavender in such a way, which is really interesting to see. And uh, and yeah, it's just gone from there, snowballed kind of, and uh, he's happy to work with us. He's chasing after some mead barrels from us and mm-hmm. we're very protective of those um, <laughs> because... God damn it, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a very small amount of them, you know, and uh, like you said with this, is liquid gold. You know, we don't want to, we'd not say we'd be wasting them, but it'd be uh, preventing us from making more products of our own yeah, ranks. So it's kind of tough. Um, it's, yeah, it's tough to balance that. Could that you lend scale. it or is that something that if you lend it out and then it's being We've actually discussed this a little bit. Um, the lending of the barrels can be done for sure. The only, there's one catch of it is the fact of using some of the uh, spoilages that do play in some of those brewing houses might affect the wines in here and yeah. um, they can spread. Oh, things right. like yeah, Britannia Rice's yeah, beer yeah. or exactly. uh, Acetobacter for the you know, yeah. sours. Yeah. So, right. so that's exactly what you don't want in a barrel that you're putting wine into yeah. or mead. Because huh. uh, good point. It's, it's less of a friendly <laughs> medium. Yeah, yeah I can right. imagine. They have, I know that's a big problem with a lot of breweries. They have to have a separate area for yeah, sure. lactose. So, yeah. And, uh, and I mean, they can get rid of it. They can do that with the sanitation because they heat up the water. They can steam treat everything like with, uh, but you can't exactly heat wine up to the same no. level in order right. to kill any spoilage bacteria. So, so it's kind of like uh, it's a risk. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and it might not be worth it. No. Yeah, and I mean, especially because we don't uh, we don't manipulate the grape must or the meads with like huge amounts of chemicals or additives or anything like uh, we we like to just see what the natural yeast can do. So if there's already a natural yeast in there, that could be a spoilage thing. It'll just take over. So we, uh, right. yeah, I mean, it's, we're, we'll think about it in the future, but we're never going to say no to anything. No, okay. yeah, exactly. That's one thing that we don't want to say no to. Um, right. It's about making the right conscious, conscious decision um, at that time and place. Um, so, you know, if we were to ever lend out barrels, Luke would probably be one of the forerunners to receive barrels like that. Um, but again, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in time. So. 
we won't mm-hmm. say yes or no at this point. It's just it's a matter of, still. yeah, just let's just see what happens in time and what happens with their honey wine program and stuff. Cause we got some new tricks up our sleeve that we're working on as well. Okay. Um, you know, I'm just going to throw one word out there, but braglets is something that we're playing with and, and we're very excited yeah. about those. Um, we can't say much more about that because it's very still, preliminary stages yeah, of that, yeah. but, uh, um, we're going to need all the barrels we can get. It's basically what yeah. we're trying to say. Um, and as you see, this room is, is filled is with barrels. Yeah. Um, but we definitely um, still need more. It's it's crazy to think that two years alone, two years ago, sorry, this room had just barrels on the walls on the outside of this room and this whole interior center was empty. Even when we um, came in July, it was like none of this was there. Yeah. Like, it was just some yeah. stuff in the corners. This was, I think these were there. Yeah. You keep get me vessels, I'm going to put shit in. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why not, right? Uh, and it kind of comes down to what and the reason why that is, is not only because it's not that we're trying to make more wine or expand more wine. It's not even anything about that. It's actually purely because uh, two things. One, the vineyards have come back from mm-hmm. a really, really bad freezing event that happened two, now sorry, three years ago. So the overall crop level has been reduced because of the vines suffered really, really bad frost damage. Which is probably um, happening right now too? Uh, right now, not yet. Not yet? Um, yeah. Right now, it's not that deep, uh, that cold okay. enough to really, really burn buds. There's going to be some damage in some varieties. Jeez, how much cold does it have to get? Like, this uh, is pretty... Uh, it's got to get, like, a little bit colder still. Yeah. Um, Montreal yeah. cold. Like, it'll it'll kill buds, yeah. like, but um, cell death in the vine, they yeah. typically say, depending on the variety, it'll happen at minus 25. Yeah. So what they're worried about, close. actually, is... Yeah. Uh, is down here because of the lake effect it's always a little bit warmer right that's why versus like uh, prince edward county we we don't have I to see. bury the vines mm. right uh, there's no snow here than mississauga topical trauma right now no but way. the problem okay. is like when it was minus 22 in toronto uh two nights ago it uh was minus 14 here so like it's that's great it's it's yeah. all right yeah. the only thing that could make that be a worry is uh if like in 2005 it stays this cold and Lake Ontario freezes because then there's no more lake effect. So Oh, and then we, it's going to cool that down here and then cool. yeah. everything's dead. Yeah. So what does that mean? Is those, those vines won't grow back? They, well, they either die and we replace them and that's what we had to do. So we lost a third of our vines in 2014. Dang. And so we had, to re, we had to pull out the dead vines the and, then, yeah, and oh. then put in new vines, wait three years, and this is the first year we got new So what does uh, that mean in that meantime? Like, like just, luckily you've got all this stuff going so your you just products wait, can continue. You just wait. You buy fruit or you buy fruit or you or you don't buy fruit and you rely you on what you have. just take a short crop. Yeah. And and like we have very little yeah. red wines on the shelf right now. Because they take longer to come to market. And so... We, you know, we yeah. we don't have the wine available. We have to apologize to consumers, but right. let them know that you know we we have stuff in the works. It just yeah. takes time. Hmm. So, yeah, and like the second hmm. thing then, but why this room's filled up is is the short crops that we had because the frost. Um, and the secondly is now Ryan's winemaking style. Right. So he's not turning don't products. Don't me for this. <laughs> uh, it's all no, your it's fault, good, Ryan. It's a, it's a good thing. I swear. Um, I believe in it now. Uh, right. Is that he's taking a different approach to winemaking so again nothing it's nothing new it's the fact that we're he's using and we're using old techniques of wine to uh, nurture the wines in a certain perspective or to mature the wines in a certain perspective so gotcha. um, like over there for example is 2016 red wines right um, and some 2015 red wines still right so he's sitting in barrel for a lot longer period of time to to stabilize the wine to make sure the wine is uh, matured or uh, matured to a point that he's ultimately the most happy with and ready to bring it to market. Right. But it takes time, right? We're at so the cusp of 2018 time. and there's yeah. 2015 wines still sitting in the barrel. Hmm. So this room has a collection of vintages now. So it's not just all 2017 wines that we made in here, it's a collection of them because we're sitting on them longer before we bring them to market. Right. But now when we bring them to market, they're that much better or um, they're at their most 
optimal or highest peak of performance, you could say, when they're right. hitting bottle and hitting the market. So okay. um, it's just a different way of making things versus rushing through vintages and following a cookie cutter approach of, okay, we're going to do 11 months of oak aging and 25% new oak, boom, get it to bottle after filtration, get it to market a month later. Right. That's very boring. Right, if that's the standard. Uh, it's boring. Exactly. Yeah, like, well, it's, right. we're, we're not saying it's the yeah. best way to do things, it's just the best for us. And right, so, which is key. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, much larger wineries down here, like let's say like someone like Jackson Triggs, uh, they, they have to, they produce a lot more wine, so um, they, they need to have consistency. It needs to, you know, when a customer goes to the LCBO to buy their bottle, um, they want to know that it tastes the same kind of year in, year out. So of course, yeah. with us, we don't really have that issue. But. Right, because it's a really specific each yeah. year. I feel like with wine, there's actually, like, that's a, this is probably a, a good discussion topic. Like with beer, like this has to taste the same every single time. This is kind of a one-off, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. The one-off, like the bring out your dead will come later. But then with wines as well, like I feel like you just, they're, you know, they'll be the, it's year on year. So like the nuances, which I always find fascinating yeah. in any winery. And they'll be like, well, 2009 was that really hot year. Like everyone knows all this crazy yeah. shit. Yeah. 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 yeah, and they, but that's they'll never do that again. But that's it. Like that's it, and we've had one since, and it's not the same. Mm-hmm. And but it's not expected to be the same. And I feel yeah. like that's a cool element. Yeah, of mine, mine is still like the biggest of the biggest producers, like um, Yellowtail, for example. You know, because oh, like they always wines. Because it's not really like labeled a year. Uh, they probably are still. Maybe I don't even know Yellowtail labeled uh, vintage days their their products anymore. Yeah, it's, they are. They do. it's just if they manipulate their wines so that they're consistent even still. So they'll add acid and they'll add sugar to get it to that right alcohol, that right acid level. They'll play with the wine, so they'll doctor the wine, quote unquote, to make it that okay. point. Um, and you guys don't do that because there's no need to. No. Well, it's not that there's no need; it's that we don't want to. Right. Right. We'd rather really, really be reflective of our vintage and, and our time. Like I think that Nebulous is a good example. That so is is the Pinot um, because they're both reflective of us making a decision, not you know in January or February of that year, but literally the the day we picked the grapes or the day before we picked the grapes, saying this is what we're going to do with the wine because this is what Mother Nature yielded for us to this point in time. Hmm. Right. So we're not going to then doctor the wine or manipulate it. After the fact, it's like we're going to make that. And sometimes it's a different decision later in the progression of the wine, like um, the unfiltered Pinot Noir. We that. didn't know what we we're going to do with that when we started fermenting it. We just said, okay, this is what the grapes are. This is what we're going to start making. And then as the wine started to reveal itself, Ryan started making decisions to change the style as it was going on because it just wasn't working for another direction. So he said, right. okay, you know what? This wine doesn't want to go in that direction. I'm not going to force it that way. I'm going to let it go where it really wants to go. And I'm going to help it in that direction. Right. And he helped make it to get to that point. And I think that we all benefited from it. It's an awesome, beautiful, really crushable wine. It's delicious. Yeah. You know, and, and it drinks really simply and, and elegantly and beautifully. And, and uh, I think that that's, again, where making the right decision at the right time is really pivotal for, for what we're doing. That's really cool, man. And that was when we came, actually, we caught the bottle of that I, on my... I'm really into the, the hazy stuff. That's why mm. I really like Bellwoods. Yeah. And then when that's sort of hazy Pinot, I was like, yo, we're getting that. That's my wine. Yeah. <laughs> Don't break it out with yeah. me. I was excited. So speaking of uh, hazy wines, do you want to uh, yeah. do the Nebula? I'll, I'll let Ryan uh, do the honors. But also tell the story of it too. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. Yeah. It was Will's idea, so I don't know. It's fun. <laughs> I, I, I do like that label though. I can see why that's... Uh, why is it carbonated and have a uh, like a beer cap on there, if I may ask? Uh, so this is a style of wine, like William had kind of said before, that we had not ever made before. Uh, 
It's PetNat, which is short for Petion Naturel. Okay. Thank you, sir. So, again, like, uh, not a not a new style or anything. Just it wasn't when we made it for the first time. It wasn't very popular down here in Niagara. Okay. Uh, it's seen some traction, kind of, with cool natural producers in Europe, uh, oh, wow. United States, and there's um, a lot of people that we were talking to here. You know, to make this wine. Basically, what it is is you. Well, the reason why we decided to do it, we have this really small block of Pinot that had um, 23 vines of Semillon that had survived the winter that William was talking about earlier. That is sexy. Sorry. And Just rather than uh, rather than trying, it was we, we got a pathetic amount of uh, fruit from that block. So rather than try and make a small amount of Pinot table wine. We just kind of thought I'd never made a pet nap before, but it can't be too difficult. So we let the yeast ferment. Every, we left it on skins for four days uh, just to get this nice kind of rosé color. Uh, we let the we pre- then pressed it off. The wild yeast just took over and consumed the sugar, and we watched it um, until it got to about 10 grams per liter of residual sugar. And then we bottled it without filtration and then put this, you know, like a beer cap on it, happen, basically. Yeah. So the last 10 grams of the fermentation with the wild yeast happened in the bottle. So you get this light effervescence. Uh, it's only about 11% alcohol. And this wine is as basic as it gets in terms of never having anything added to it. Um, it's a zero literally, wow. it's just grapes and wild yeast. Jesus. And so... Um, so it's a wine still? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be co- it's, you know, like in the category of sparkling wine, but right. this wine is non-VQA. Because of the fact that it's hazy, uh, and flats. yeah, <laughs> and the, I know you just drinking it yeah. around the flats. It's, it's a protein. Yeah, it's there. It's not. <laughs> it's not the first time. It's not the first time. <laughs> Country folk, I tell you. <laughs> I mean, like that's you always freaking. It's a winery. Out. There's flies. There's clouds of them at times of the year. Yeah, right? You got to get used yeah. to them. They're tasty, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so again, this is another thing of like tried something for the first time. Didn't know if it was going to work. I didn't have. I had some like these really terrible dreams of waking up and coming to the winery and like that we miscalculated how much sugar was in there and that <laughs> yeah, the bottles yeah, everything would be like flying off. But, you know, sure enough, the university education wasn't wasted and we, uh, <laughs> we got the numbers right. This is phenomenal, yeah. man. What was your, may I ask what your like hesitancy was like with popping this one? Because I know we'll have to talk you into it. Uh, well, see, this, this is, is fantastic. Yeah. We, we made so little of it and it sold out so quickly that I just, and Pet Nat's a style, you know, you want to drink it in the spring, summer, drink it pretty quickly. I can see that. Uh, the fact that it has no sulfur in it, no, fill, like it's. Yeah, no added sulfur. In every, every bottle will be different. So the fact that it was staying down in the cellar, it's an entire year later. Weird I wasn't sure what was going to happen. How do you uh, feel about it now? I'm very pleasantly surprised with it. Yeah, me too. It's, uh, it's, it's really, really cool. Good. Yeah. It's lost yeah. some of like the fresh fruit character and it's gone to some like kind of little funkier, you know, more yeah, kind uh, of sour beer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like a sour, right? It's yeah. fantastic. I love this. It's like a nice, but it's really crisp and refreshing. Like there's a lot Super. of good fruit on it. Yeah, this yeah. is honestly phenomenal. So I what I want to do with the 2017 version, because we like the 2016 one so much, is to leave it kind of longer on those yeast cells in the bottle, let it digest the, uh, the CO2, and then we'll release it next, uh, I don't know, spring. But again, yes. it, we have the luxury of being able to taste it constantly and decide exactly. when it's ready exactly. to, to go to market. And so um, this is actually Judith walking in timely. 
uh, Judith is the, is the is the lady who actually named this product. So oh, yeah? uh, one day she cool came name. up to us. Uh, so we like to name what we do. A lot of the products that we make, we like to name and design them in house as well. So like the wine, the honey wine labels, almost all of them have been designed in, completely in house here. Maybe. We don't we don't hire anybody to do it. Um, this was actually done by a good friend of mine and his girlfriend, who's a watercolor and pastel specialist. Um, so she actually painted the nebulous cloud. Uh, and he designed the label around that cloud because we wanted to be reflective of it. So that's why you see the tones of pink and yellow uh, inside the cloud for it, right? So he's going and, from one. Uh, he was I was still getting some of the cutting bells on the nose. Oh, so that's why I wanted to see what I showed So you yeah. really like it. Huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, so we danced around a couple of different names for it. And, and Judith came up to us one day and she was like, have you thought, what about nebulous, a pink iridescent cloud? Perfect. And uh, once, right when she said that name, I thought it was a brilliant name. I thought it worked perfectly, especially the description of pink yeah. iridescent yeah. cloud. And like it said um, something about like uh, yeah. a form, in the form of a cloud or haze. Exactly. Crazy. So I look up words and their definition so I understand the, the real meaning of it instead of just like one of the words that is most commonly misused in my opinion is avant-garde. People think it means just like, you know, ultra luxury and, 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 and all that. And it, doesn't no, it, what means does it mean utter ordinary before, you know yeah. it's something that's grand before keep yeah keep keeping right? exactly it means ex- something extraordinary right yeah. it's uh, something you know again pushing boundaries that's what mm-hmm. that comes down to so um, knowing the root word of the, the definition of the root word i think is really important so when i looked up and that's why we put the whole definition of it on back label yeah, very cool. so people can understand why do we call it nebulous it's because it's purely reflective of the product inside yeah right it's sick i don't even love this it's just practically a beer to me. I mean, yeah. the sediment normally I don't really get yeah. that with wine. Yeah. Um, That's because the VQA doesn't let us do that. But, yeah. So uh, do you, maybe we should touch on that. So VQA, for those who don't know, if we have American listeners and our province listeners too. So VQA is the, I always forget what it stands for. Vintners Quality Alliance. Right. And that, so we're in an area, it's the Niagara mm-hmm. region. Mm-hmm. Specifically, we're in Beamsville, but the VQA essentially regulates and dictates a uh, style formats, correct me if I'm wrong? Uh, no? Sort of. Uh, what it is, is an Appalachian system. So um, they've actually outlined specific territories or boundaries within the province that are for grape growing. Okay. And so if you want to grow grapes under the VQA system, that w- those vineyards have to be located within that Appalachian boundary or that system. Okay. Um, and I think in Niagara there's 23 or 27 or so, something like sub-Appalachians, right? So there's named sub-Appalachians. There's grander, like VQA Ontario is Ontario. And then it goes down to like Prince Edward County VQA. Niagara oh, Peninsula. So they can VQA too. Yes. I thought it was just Niagara. Yeah. No, no, no. no. Okay. Uh, there's Lake Erie North Shore, so Lens, I think they're calling it, or Epic now they're calling it, something like that. Um, so there's these small little satellites or territories that are, are VQA-able. And then within them, they have sub-Appalachians within them. Um, so that's where you get broken down into the sub-Appalachians. Okay. And they'll set parameters for minimum uh, bricks or starting sugar level that you have to get from the vineyard mm-hmm. in your specific grape variety so that you can bring it in and call it VQA. So Riesling, right. for example, needs like 18 or 18.5 um, for sub-Appalachian designation. Um, mm-hmm. So if you want to name it from this vineyard here, Beansville Bench VQA, it has to be like 19, I think, bricks. Um, okay. If you want it to be VQA, and that's a sugar measurement. Sugar measurement, yeah. Okay. Sorry. So that's like the um, the amount of soluble sugar that's in suspension in the liquid of the grape juice um, okay. at the time of harvest. Essentially. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And that's um, how much sugar is available for fermentation to begin or to start. Gotcha. Uh, and that's what then dictates how much you know alcohol slash residual sugar we then have afterwards. Um, but then the VQA goes one step further um, and not only sets that parameter for the minimum starting uh, sugar. Um, they then will say, okay, we now have a tasting panel uh, and we have a set of terms that you can or cannot use. 
so in the descriptors. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. either on the label, anywhere on the label. Um, there's certain terms that we cannot use um, that are ba- banned from us to use, uh, okay. and certain things like that. And the tasting panel, um, not only that, but they have a laboratory component as well. So we submit the wines for lab, and they have to analyze the wine, and they have certain parameters that they will then say yes or no to say, okay, this is past everything or not. And then they have, they actually analyze the label as well. So they mm-hmm. have certain requirements for the label. So for VQA, for example, we have uh, to designate, we have to put VQA Niagara. So here's VQA Niagara Peninsula. Okay. The type font size has to be a certain amount. Oh, wow. Um, and the contrast, yeah. And they measure it. And so the contrast also is taken into place. So if you went with a really, really light shade of like off-white, like eggshell on white, they'd say, no, not enough contrast. Uh, it's, so they it's want it to be red. They want it to be red. <laughs> so, but then, Visible. Yeah. Yeah. my understanding yeah. is, and well, on the primary one. primary displaying panel, which is the front, the front. as they say. Wow. Okay. Um, so it's really and the serious. stamp has to be there. There's a whole bunch of rules. So uh, we we look at the as a sort of non wine like not involved in it directly. Like if we look for it, we always like, oh, we want a VQA wine. Whenever we come to Ontario, because the Quebec wines are a lot harder to get right. the good stuff because the way the SAQ runs, it's really difficult. Mm-hmm. I've been talking about before about yeah. the interprovincial stuff. So we come to Toronto and we're just like straight to stock up on VQA wines. We don't always get down to Niagara. So today, of course, we'll stock up. But we always look at that as a seal of quality. Which is good to hear, actually, to be honest, because that's what the whole mandate behind the VQA was, was back Fair. in the early 90s when it was set up, was to actually increase or elevate the quality as a whole of our region so that gotcha. we could be brought up and actually recognized and respected internationally. That's the original oh, uh, That's okay. the original mentality behind it. That's why when that happened, they actually um, barred everyone from planting uh, Lubruska and North American types of grapes mm-hmm. for wine production. Okay. So you can only use Vitis vinifera, so European grape family of grapes um, species to m- make VQA wine. Why? Or hybrids too. Or hybrids, yeah. 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 Minus there's some exceptions. Um, they, they, they say and they claim that all... Um, great wines made of non-European grape varieties are inferior to the European grape varieties um, because of sugar acid balance and flavor development that happens on the vine. Um, so the different species just have different ways of growing and that produce different types of quality of grapes and, and flavor yeah. of grapes. And, and therefore, they've, they've designated European grape varieties as being class A or the best level of varieties for grapes to make wine. Mm-hmm. And that's what they have now said. This is why we want to make better wine in Ontario. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. personally would. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, Fact. there may be some stuff that we, with more knowledge than you know, our abilities to to try and make cool wines from certain weird hybrids, or I I, I don't like that they can say you can't do something. Um, yeah, that's what but, that's the vibe I get generally yeah. from. Yeah, the, but that's it, the frustration. I, I do believe that, that yeah. it has definitely achieved their initial mandate of elevating the overall quality of the Agreed. Niagara wine yeah. industry, so that people are. You know, it's not baby duck that they're drinking yeah. anymore. They're actually drinking. Yeah. They can look to that as a sign of quality. Right. Um, but I, what I don't agree with, well, we shouldn't get too much into this. Well, That's I was going to touch on not being negative at all, but just like from a direct winery's perspective, what is the flip side to this? I, I think it's, yeah, I mean, a little bit uh, presumptuous to say that we know how things can and can't be done if somebody wants to make wine from a different product that is, the, you know, or... Uh, different grape or in a different style, be it hazier or, you know, with bottled with leaves or stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. and leaves would be, yeah, yeah. yeah yeast cells. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think that they should have this, the tax hit that they get for selling to restaurants. Yeah. I mean, if somebody wants to do something, let the consumer decide. So right. can you explain that? Right. I, I would suppose I've heard of that. So there's a tax hit if yeah. you do so, something. So this bottle therefore would have received that. 
Yeah, so like this bottle, for we example. We didn't get the tax break. Yeah, if we sold, when we sold Nebulous to restaurants, we were taxed at a three times higher rate than the VQA products. Damn. Yeah, crazy. So did that mean that so the that, price of the product from the consumer point, I guess, we, t- we took a loss on it yeah. financially. When it was oh, sold what? to restaurants. Um, right, yeah, specifically to restaurants. Direct from the, the no seller difference, door. Yeah. Seller door, which is considered to be farm gate, there's no difference in taxation for VQA yeah. versus non-VQA. Um, and the oh. same goes for honey wines. Our honey wines are not VQAable because they are not 100% grape. So when they sell to restaurants, we oh, have okay. a higher tax burden on oh. them, which sucks. Um, so does that affect the business or you guys are just like, whatever, I want to make good product. It's a combination of both. It. it does affect the bottom line because you're paying it's, high it's taxes, a business right? Day, right? But yeah. we also want to make these products. So we're like, screw it, we're doing it anyways. But like if you're a craft um, brewery, so you say you want to put mango passion fruit or whatever in it goes, like that's your own thing, you, they yeah. can do it. Yeah, that's what's going to compare. There's but, nothing comparable in no. beer, is there? I mean, yeah. for we've traveled, at least in Australia, states in here, like there's nowhere yeah. I've seen that's like, you can't do this because of this. It's just like, you know, you're saying with Bellwoods, they've got too high ABV, well, you got to fix that. Exactly. Yeah. Because Ontario is like a bit of a nanny state yeah. with, uh, very much so. Mm-hmm. Like compared to other places, like, you know, too scared to sell, like you're in the freaking like, yeah, convenience crazy. store and stuff. Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, and the only thing about the BQA that we didn't really <clears throat> touch base on is the tasting yes. panel. That's the one thing that Ryan kind of danced around, I think, a little bit, diving right into it. But uh, um, basically, the tasting panel, when you submit the wines, they taste it, and they say yes or no um, to it. Well, they taste the flaws, too, which are are good. That's kind of like LCBO does that for beers and stuff, too, right? exactly. Uh, Very similar to that. Um, And, you know, that's where right now there's a debacle going on, a conversation going on in the industry about if that tasting panel is still valid or not, right? Is it it still meritability in its existence? Um, Okay. you know, some people think yes or no. Some people agree for either side of it. Um, I'm still on the fence about it because I think that, you know, there is advantages to it because we don't want to have flawed wines like Ryan just mentioned. We don't want to have those in the marketplace because that hurts the whole industry. Right? Yeah. If you have a, a tourist that comes in or someone who's like, you know what, I'm going to go out on the limb and go drink some local Ontario wines and boom, they get a flawed wine. We all kind of shot ourselves in the foot. Yeah. But then that's up to the producer to also kind of own up and say, okay, you know what, I got to make better product. Yeah, you should. You know, but then like, wouldn't that not be able to get, wouldn't it... The, the weak product not get through the LCO There's a lot of examples of, a, there's a lot of examples of really, really, I don't want to say faulted or flawed wines, but some you can just interesting say average. average or below <laughs> average, average or stuff. acceptable wines too, right? that, that have get, passed get through the, the system. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's there, they exist in the marketplace, sadly. Okay. Um, so it's not a foolproof system to prevent and ensure that only good quality product passes. Hmm. Um, but it does prevent, as Ryan mentioned, um, because they say no to certain things, that there is some block of innovation. Um, like, right. and we couldn't VQA this because no, they just but you still wouldn't did allow it. it, but we just did. But then, okay, so then other wineries be like, oh, okay, cool, we'll change the product. I guess they probably, potentially some would, right? Some. Um, yeah, some would change their product. Some would not consider doing it because of the tax hit or burden. Um, some are afraid of not doing VQA wines um, at all because they now, like you said, you know, you come to Ontario, well, I want VQA wines because you recognize quality. Yeah. Right. Some people are like, you know what, if that's what consumers think, then I want to make only VQA products. Huh. But we've danced with non-VQA products for honey wines since day one. And you've had no issues with no. that. That's, that's right. the yeah. thing, right, is if you want to make, if you want to make non-VQA products, uh, Take away the tax hit. You know, if, yeah. if we've had it where it does stand for quality, make sure that all the, the grapes are from Niagara. And you as a consumer has just said, without us talking about this before, that you look to it as a sign of quality. Yeah. That's great. If a winery then wants to make a product that doesn't meet the BQA standards, don't tax them. Let the consumer decide that. Yeah. And then you have more creative kind of freedom to do stuff that's a little bit different. Yeah. But... I don't know. I mean, and what what if in that scenario we stumble upon not us but as an industry the industry stumbles upon a new grape type that 
is doesn't is, fit in. Or, well, it doesn't fit in, but it's it's probably the best grape that we should grow in Niagara. But it's not part of the VQA system because they didn't recognize it because 30 years ago, no one decided to plant it. But now mm. it's the best thing that we should be growing. Do they change? Can they? They, they can change for sure. Right? right. It's the same as any human but, construct. But we like won't it. change mm-hmm. because they, if they don't allow us to do it already, it's not on their rule book. How can we discover it? Right? Right? Exactly. Mm. Right? That's so, but you could do you could technically do it. They can't stop you from yeah, planting. They can't but stop they're going to be like any of your products that have this new grape in there. Non VQA. Then we get hit with higher tax. So it almost so that's why to, his point is so valid, and what I agree with as well as saying is that they should take away the tax burden because right. it, it doesn't it doesn't create an equal, equal playing field. You're mm-hmm. you're almost forcing yourself, or people are being forced because they're trying to chase that tax break instead of saying, that okay, sucks. I'm going to innovate but take a hit. No, no I'm going to go for tax break. Damn. So it's kind of unfortunate um, what's happened. So well, we'll I mean, see what happens. respect you guys for, you know, taking the plunge and taking the hit and, uh, you know, making product, quality product over it's tax break. Like like yeah. So like, 2016, like mm-hmm. this, and it's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. It just felt like they're like making anything. Say that about a shirt or pants, like they're just making something. Maybe right. that's why it's just like, like a commodity. Exactly. Like yeah. Because, but I think that's what that element, in all honesty, like is what attracted us to you guys, mm-hmm. aside from like, you know, the you sexy social. Cool yeah. Stuff. yeah. I feel like it comes through in your brand. It comes like it's completely like. We're making alcohol at the end of the day. Yeah. How are you not happy? We should be all smiling and be happy. Leave the drama outside the building, outside the property. You know, let's just have some fun. Uh, Let's make some cool stuff and and learn, right? That's what I think the number one thing is to do. Yeah, I agree very much. So the next VQA wine that we have. (laughs) Oh, are we going to switch it up? Do you think? What do you think we should taste first? Oh, do you want to get that? Let's try that one first. Yeah. Uh, We have some interesting stuff, folks. Yeah. Actually, no, let's try this one first because okay. this yeah. one's okay. weird. I haven't tasted this, so I don't know. All right. Now. So this is actually one of the coolest things anyway. I've ever seen. Um, can can you just explain? I'm not even going to try. All right. So <laughs> I'll let Ryan do the talk about this Yeah. One. Uncle Ryan, so long you met. Uh, so what this is is a kind of a sneak peek. Um, this is a, a blend of white grapes that uh, we decided to ferment on the skins. Now, I mean, usually white grapes are pressed off first and then the juice is fermented into, uh, in barrels or stainless steel tanks or whatever. Okay. Um, this has now been, uh, what are we at, Well, Like 10 weeks? Must be going out to 10. 10 weeks on skins. So this is a blend of Riesling, Gewurz, Viognier, Semillon. Uh, did I miss one? No, that's it. Uh, and it's been on the skins, fermenting on the skins still, just kind of sitting and we continuously taste it. This is where, you know, you don't go into making this wine with any kind of preconceived idea of like, this is how we're going to make it. Yeah. Just taste it and see where it goes and trust your palate, you know? So, it must be completely not VQA. Uh, no, I mean, now the VQA has a skin-fermented white category that you can do, um, but we don't know if it'll pass, right? We haven't submitted it, so... Because it's still early days. Uh, Technically, everything should pass Mm. because it's the first year they made the change, so there shouldn't be any uh, prejudice against or for products. Technically, it's an open slate, Okay. if you want to call it that, you know. The the tasting panel has no point of reference. There hasn't been any precedent set for this category Mm -hmm. within the VQA system, so it should be just open, but... That's okay. uh, 
up to debate. We'll see what happens. So I think the key element of this product is how it was made or where it's now currently aging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like we, we really don't know how long we're going to kind of push it. I like where it's at now because so often with white wine, um, you, you get tannin from fermentation on the skins, right? So with reds, you know, when you drink uh, red wine, you feel that kind of astringency in yeah. your mouth and uh, I'm getting that right now, yeah. almost the same thing as if you've ever had tea that you've let steep for too long yes. there's tannin there as well yeah, yeah, yeah. what that's actually doing is these tannins are interacting with the saliva that's in your mouth and they're effectively pulling the saliva out of solution so that's why you get this kind of drying kind of coarse sensation on your mouth right so when red wines are fermented on skins that's kind of to be expected you know when you have a very big kind of tannic red wine they say eat it with red meat or whatever to help kind of balance that out. Yeah. Uh, with white wines, because they're not fermented on the skins, you don't typically get that. Um, right. Whereas with this, we decided, you know, we'll ferment it on the, on the skins uh, for, I don't know, a long yeah, time. <laughs> and it's also done in uh, the original vessels that kind of wine was made in were clay, right? Clay amphora. Mm -hmm. So they look like big old vases and stuff. So we, we had these made. Uh, these are actually Italian uh, clay pots basically huge ass clay pots how many yeah. are 500 liters uh, yeah there's yeah. about 500 yeah. liters yeah. yeah they're sick and uh so we fermented <laughs> it's still it, it was fermented on the skins kind of still sitting there we'll decide when we want to press it off at which you know we'll take the the wine that's in there free kind of floating around we'll take that out put it into a tank and then scoop out the skins with a bucket press those put it together let it settle naturally and bottle it without any kind of fining or filtering right. amazing um but yeah, that's uh, it was Very just an unique, experiment, right? I guess. Yeah, and the other thing is we we didn't uh, a lot of the times because clay is porous, you'll have uh, um, coat them with beeswax, mm -hmm. and you think being Rosewood the only winery having an effectively exactly. unlimited supply of beeswax <laughs> uh, that we would do that, but we decided to not line them because what interests me is even though there's a volume loss and. You know, maybe a risk of yeah, it's about twenty percent. Yeah, uh, you have the wine moving through the pores. So what I'm kind of curious about or interested to see is that uh, exchange rate. Uh, wine chemistry, in a lot of ways, is just a series of uh, reduction oxidation reactions. Mm -hmm. So by having these mediums, you know, I like to play around with, like we said, with Riesling, Sauvignon Blanc. You know, what old barrels do, new barrels do, stainless steel does. So just because I'm curious to see what that kind of medium has or the, the, the fermentation vessel, what effect that has on the wine. Right. So like we did this on so the skin contact white, but we also kept one clay pot for, uh, uh, to ferment Riesling juice in. So for me, Riesling is one of the most interesting grapes in Niagara. And I wanted to see what every different vessel could do to it, if it makes it better as a whole or just to add complexity. So we did Riesling in clay old wooden large barrels, older, smaller uh, barriques, and stainless steel. So each is unique in its own way, all from the same fruit, you right. know, the same wild yeast there, basically there. But uh, we'll awesome. just see what it, what it does to the, the yeah, finish. So ultimately, line. we might end up bottling each of them separately or mm -hmm. all them together. And do some sort of blends. Yeah. Or... Very cool, man. It's yeah. like super limited. Too. And this is where now, um, where <clears throat> Ryan and I were working now for uh, a little bit of time, um, we're not, as a producer versus a winemaker, we're not, like I said, handcuffing him to do certain things. So if Ryan ultimately feels that making the combination of all those different vessels together, so the old oak, um, the large and small scale, the clay and the steel together for the wild fermented reasoning will be better, mm -hmm. then that's the best course of action. 
Right. Right. I'm having, I trust his palate now as well for one, the wines that we've already made. Yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> uh, Most of the time. Most of the time. Um, it depends on what time of day or night it is. But um, <laughs> um, generally speaking, you know, I think that we've, I'm very proud of the products that we've made already together. And so if he comes up to us and say, okay, well, this is the sample that I've prepared, the composite we've made, um, this is what I think we should do with this reasoning. What do you think? And right. if that's his proposal and, and he can, he stands behind it, then I have to stand behind it. Same. Right. Um, the only cool. way that it wouldn't is if, if there's some sort of financial barrier where it's cost prohibitive, but he understands that as well. Right. right? So he wouldn't really come up saying, we're going to lose a lot of money doing this, but I want to do it anyways. He's not going to do that. He doesn't, he doesn't, yeah. so far he hasn't come up to that, to that point. Yeah. <laughs> <they're> 18. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> so, um, it's just something that we got to keep in mind and consider. Right. And, uh, yeah, and that's other thing. Like if we had that mentality of, of saying no, then this wouldn't have happened. And you guys saw it already. What what came from something that. like that, you know? Yeah. Like, and even now, like Ryan mentioned, and you guys mentioned, this tasted more like a sour beer than a wine at this yeah. point. And that's again because the style of winemaking from it and how cool that was because oh, we didn't say cool. no. It was awesome. So, yeah, man. And yeah. it's very rare. I guess it's not actually technically is it not categorized as a sparkling, really. Uh, it's in the category of. It's, <clears> it's just not considered to be okay. like a champagne uh, style or a champagne method or gotcha. a cuvee close method. Method is not like that because it's the the pressure that was created inside of that is lower than. Than a sparkling wine in a traditional sense. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. But, it's, but it is saberable. We did definitely saber them, and it successfully sabers. So, what does that mean? Um, just pop the top off with a sword. Oh yeah. Sabers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or or a wine glass or a stem, whatever you call as long it. As it shoots out, right? Yeah. It's all that matters. Yeah. As long okay. as it's sparkling inside the bottle, it'll shoot out. All right. I think you don't try it with anything else. <laughs> no, just that. Yeah. If you got a sword handy. Yeah. Um, so this was the the locked and loaded. I locked we had and loaded. This. Yeah. Locked and loaded white. Um, yes. So you guys have tried this already. Yes. Uh, and um, this is a wine that we made because the label, um, the baby, the sorry, the red brother of it, Lock and Loaded Red, mm-hmm. um, has been a success, successful brand for us, meaning that um, people have enjoyed the price point and the label, the look of it. Mm-hmm. Um, might be tough to see on the podcast, but it's just a literally kind of like steampunkish style label that came off as a, uh, as a second label from one of our more popular premier Bordeaux blends called Lock, Stock and Barrel. And ah, um, okay. this is the the red version was the uh, first inception off of it to make a more uh, consumer friendly uh, everyday drinking red wine, and then the white came out of that afterwards. Fantastic! Yeah. Uh, I'll let Ryan speak to more what's actually in the glass now, because um, I think what happened, what he decided to do, was pretty cool. So break it down, son. Yeah. Uh, so it, even though you know the locks and loaded red is a blend that kind of changes every year of red grapes. Um, the Loxamon White is 100% Chardonnay. Okay. But what we decided to do with it was, again, to play around with different uh, different yeah. vessels just to see what it would do to the same fruit. So 2016 was a really, uh, really hot year. Uh, so we did a portion of it. We wanted to make sure that 90% of this, this particular wine is done in stainless steel just okay. because there is effectively, it's an inert environment. You're not getting as much oxygen exchange. So it keeps freshness in the tank. And we wanted, you know, like vibrancy, kind of this like flinty, uh, some people call it a minerality, which I tend to interpret as more of like an electric kind of charge on your palate. And uh, so stainless steel helped with that, but just typically unoaked Chardonnay for me is fairly uninteresting. Mm -hmm. There's some great examples of it, but for my palate, it just doesn't do it for me. So there's some complexity that we added where uh, we had three new oak barrels 
and from three different cooperages, three different forests in France, and then so cooperages, uh, maybe cooperages are different companies uh, that make barrels, barrel makers, Go, yeah, okay. basically. So oh, uh, yeah, coopers, I think, yeah, yeah. So um, the uh, so there was three different barrels, and then two barrels because you know it was my first vintage at Rosewood, and I never really made meat on a big scale before. I wanted to see what previously used mead barrels would do to chardonnay mm-hmm. juice. So we used two barrels that were done. Just ask, you just did it. Just did it. Ooh, <laughs> I like that. Sworn in subordinate. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we just fermented the Chardonnay in these old mead barrels. Um, and so there's, yeah, the, the different forests, different um, barrels, two uh, mead barrels, and then the stainless, which kind of makes it a little more interesting, in my opinion. I don't know. People seem to like it. No, I, I, I love the addition. <laughs> I, lo- I love the addition of the mead barrels in here because it, when you're when you're nosing and tasting, you'll see it's got that that almost uh, really subtle hint of funkiness coming through. And it's not. Oh. It's like almost. I don't want to say hair of the dog, but it's just just yeah. that slight tinge of it. It's just tantalizing you. It's seducing you without you even knowing it. And and then it's there and it's gone. Uh, and it makes you think about it. Um, and that's what I like about it is that it's not just, like you said, a, a boring or an uninteresting un chardonnay. It's got a little bit more complexity and depth and weight to it yeah. that, that really rounds up the palate. And, and, and that uh, depth really allows the wine to be consumed and enjoyed on its own like this or with food. You know, you can talk about it or you can just slug it back and, and open another bottle. It, it's, it's versatile. And, wow. and one thing that I love working about with Ryan is that when he's making these wines and thinking about doing them is that – uh, it's not just we're making a wine to make it good. We're making a wine to be enjoyed. Right. Right. Let's make a wine that, that we want people to actually sit back and enjoy it with. And right. that means being food friendly. That's right. why the wines, um, often what I've noticed with Ryan is that his wines are, have a very, very uh, saline-like character, the mm-hmm. salinity that comes through, and that makes it very food friendly. Uh, and, and, I, and I love that. I think it makes the wines approachable mm-hmm. and it can be consumed with a variety of foods um, and just – Really, generally, good drinkers. So it makes you thirsty, and you want to buy or open yeah. a second bottle. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm kind of <laughs> like this is great. Kind of I don't drink wine as much as I uh, yeah, sure. used to because of these stupid hazy beers now. I'm like, I buy them in bulk, and then all of a sudden, yeah, I have this fridge. <laughs> it is, bro. You should feel sorry for me. And I'm drinking. Pardon? What? Well, that not as much as well. So we always try and stock up when we come here. But yeah, I don't get to drink wine as much as well. But like, this is phenomenal. I really, really enjoy it. Um, yeah. And it's really coming to its own right now. It's been in bottle now for uh, it'll be coming up to a year mm-hmm. soon. Maybe okay. not a year, but it'll be like so eight peak. months in bottle. Um, I wouldn't say peak, but it's it's, it's definitely that. come together. So it's okay. the flavors have harmonized, um, and it's it's really starting to sing. I like to say the wine like starts to sing in the bottle, um, okay. and so when you pour them, they really start to open up and reveal themselves. And I still think that it's too soon to drink. I know, yeah, but he thinks this is about all of his wines. Like, <laughs> he's like, hey, just wait. Yeah, just no, wait. seriously. It's like we got two bottles of wine that we've already bottled and, and to, to don't sell them. And it's like we have already people like, like clawing at the door wanting them. <laughs> um, and it's like, no, like firm no right now. And I make up stories for people well, why they can't drink it. Um, Can you sell it to them and make a promise not to drink it? That, that's no, not that doesn't work. That doesn't, <laughs> doesn't cut it for Ryan. No. You're a taskmaster, mate. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. But I think that making wines in this style in terms of uh, applying these old world techniques, it just takes time. And we, yeah. we need to be considerate of it, but I think that we all benefit from it. Okay. Right? There's no downside other than something no. we have to be a little more patient. That's, That's it. it. Better product. We just yeah. did a podcast actually in LA and uh, one of the breweries were calling their product a like slow beer. 
cool. because everything is aged. A lot of their stuff was very like thought through. It reminded yeah. me of the way you guys are approaching it in the sense of everything's in a barrel, everything's in a food or whatever, yeah. and adding you know sort of very interesting like you know, left of center ingredients that like needed to be sit on. Like right. you have to sit on this stuff, and I, I guess that's there is probably the equivalent of fast wine. Maybe at the larger producers, like you said, some of so. them have to crank it out. They've got box wine yeah. filled. It's, and a, stuff it's like a good, that. it's a good descriptor or way to say it as a slow beer. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it makes it's sense. The equivalent, like, right? Yeah. I do want because I very, very good, good wine tactic. Is, it is a good one. Okay, yeah. cool. And I feel like that 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 quality kind of shines yeah, through. It's very similar. Um, it's fantastic. So maybe we'll yeah. we'll go to the cider, which I do want to speak on, but I, mm-hmm. we still because we got excited. I, I didn't really get your story. I think we're like an hour in. Yeah. I still haven't got your stories. <laughs> I know this is flown by it. Yeah, I know we would like to go like the wine mix. So maybe let's quickly speak on the sure. cider, which is also um, well, so this is interesting. Yeah. One. So this is um, Honey Monster uh, by West Avenue Cider. So Chris, uh, Chris, there is a uh, good friend and uh, the producer and the owner behind West Avenue Cider. Um, we got connected with him oh, a while ago. Um, we wanted honey, or so we wanted cider to make uh, oh, one of these products here. Okay. Um, and I'll get to that eventually. And uh, he wanted honey to use for his cider, so we exchanged honey for cider. Okay. And boom, we now have products that we've both used, both products, both of our raw ingredients from. So he now has an, a farm, I think it's up in Alliston, okay. um, but he makes all these products in Hamilton. Uh, and he, like this has our honey and his cider in it versus our legacy, Ooh. which is a different style, has our honey and his cider apple, uh, right, cider apple must, on it. Um, it yeah, just must, raw juice and honey combined together. Um, so both very, very different stylistically in terms of make and, and ratios or proportions. Okay. Um, but but the cool to see from two different producers, the same products or raw ingredients going what into you it. Can do and then it. again, the, the variability of it. I think it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, that's super sick. Um, and he's all about just no yeast additions. He just makes crazy, cool, awesome ciders that are off the wall. He has ones that are aged in tequila barrels, bourbon barrels. Uh, some are, are super sweet. Some are super dry. Some have a year and a half of barrel aging. You know, he's got cherry wow. ones. Like it's just everything. Yeah, it's really. I awesome. cider is just really popping these days. Mm-hmm. I haven't really got heavy into it. But people keep telling me, oh, you need to try these ciders and stuff. And like, I haven't yeah. really dug into it, but that all sounds amazing. I've never had a barrel aged cider. Oh, yeah. He's, he loves fermenting in barrels all the time. Mm. His warehouse is now full of them. He's got a whole bunch of tanks, but he's got tons wow. of barrels that he ferments in. Yeah. That's crazy. Nice wow. and dry. Yeah. And crisp, really refreshing. Um, but again, good salinity as well. You know, when you think about it, taste it, it's got this really, really good saline note to it. So, saline meaning like salt? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I get a salty, this salty character to it mm. as well that comes through. Uh, but then the honey also has got that. Uh, um, side of things here on the palate, I think. That's mm-hmm. sick, man. So well, honey just gives it this roundness that you get on it. It's, uh, That's really, really, really cool. No, fascinating. So I don't know who wants to start, but let's uh, let's do the breakdown of the uh, the story. How you ended up either making wine or wine or wine or um, All right, so <laughs> I love um, so this is this is my family business. Um, I'm a third generation beekeeper. Um, my nice. father and mother started this business as a promise to each other on their honeymoon back in 1982. Nice. Um, that's how this all began. Um, the precursor, the original inception, actually was my grandfather's dream was to make honey wine. So he was the original beekeeper in our family. Okay. He applied for a mead license back in 69 to 74 and, and was rejected or banned from having a meadery license because Ontario was very, as you said, a nanny state. They yes. didn't want to issue new licenses, so they said no. Um, so, in fact, this honey wine here was his original recipe that he wrote in 1980. I wasn't even talking about it. Okay. But he never was able to make it commercially because he was never given the license to do so. Right. Um, anyways, my parents went on their honeymoon. They went to Niagara, visited. They made a promise to start a winery together. 
almost 20 years later, they bought this property, planted the vines, built the building. Boom. We had our first harvest in 2006 Sick. and released our first line in 2008. Um, I got involved after I finished my business degree from McMaster. Mm-hmm. I decided instead of going to work in the corporate world downtown Toronto that I had this opportunity to keep bees, which I've been doing at this point my entire life. Um, and why not go outside, spend time with the bees, make some cool product, go to wine school, learn about wine, and now you can see the rest is history. Right. Um, so that's kind of how I got started. And, and in that course of, of school and work, I've worked in British Columbia, Blue Mountain Vineyards and Cellars as part of my internship at, at Niagara College. Nice. Uh, and then I went to New Zealand to work at Amos Field in central Otago. So um, South Island, right outside of Queenstown, about an about half-hour drive okay. uh, just north of Queenstown. How which funny is funny that they talk, cool. eh? Oh, it's awesome. Kiwis, you're the best. Yeah, the heaps best. of fun. So I love them. Heaps, yeah. eh? Heaps. So good, bro. It's choicey. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the best. Uh, no, I love the it's country. It's, it's, uh, it's wicked. It's beautiful. And, oh, it's yeah. amazing. The people are great. The meat pies are delicious. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's... They are Australian. So you, yeah, they, they meat pies are Australian? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So okay. Okay. Russell Crowe all right. is all right. New Zealand. I'll back off. I'll the meat pies are Australian. I really hope I'm right. They're going to be angry. Sorry. It's going to be territorial. Um, yeah, and so that's really it. And, and uh, Ryan and I, we met actually uh, right after my time in BC. I think he was also a year or two after his time in BC, he'll get into. Um, and we met at a, actually a, a Burgundian festive party at Hidden Bench Winery just down the road from us here. Uh, and then five years later or four years later, we had lost contact and then we randomly found each other because of the good grace of Facebook. And then... Ah, <laughs> social media. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then... Uh, and then we kind of went from there. We, we sat down, had a, had a quick beer and, uh, and talked and figured out that we both had an, uh, to fill a need in our life of we needed someone to help sell wine. He was looking to get back into the wine industry. Our energies aligned and boom, we started working together. And then fast forward a couple months from there, our winemaker at the time took a job in BC. And, uh, and then he, that winemaker both recommended Ryan and Ryan came up to us and said, or came up to me and said, I want to make the wines here. Because um, he wasn't like a trained winemaker. He was just right. like, I want to make the wines here. And I said, you know what? Let's do this. And uh, away we went. Fantastic. And now we're here. That's great. Yeah. Your turn, Ryan. Oh. You know, <laughs> squish some grapes. and <laughs> Yeah. Squish them and yeah, chuck them in the barrel. She's yeah. good, mate. Don't worry. Uh, no, I... Uh... This guy. This guy right there. <laughs> I uh, actually started school uh, in medicine, uh, pre-med, at the University of Ottawa. And um, Why save lives when you can make wine? Right? You're saving yeah. lives, I think, still. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Uh, That's wise. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, went to this you know, presentation for, I was going to apply to med school in my third year and kind of saw my life you know, for the next 10 years where it was going and kind of stressed me out a bit <laughs> thinking of, I, I still love, you know, the science and medicine and everything, but there was something missing. So, uh, I was working at a wine shop at the time and was just the wine rack. Yeah. Oh, the wine yeah. rack. Oh, the old wine rack. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Sure. That's where I started. <laughs> and, uh, actually there's a reason why they're that weren't being a blessing in disguise. Um, so working there and reading more and more about winemaking and how it like, it just provided this artistic outlet that um, medicine obviously didn't provide. Right. It's not like you can go carve somebody up with a scalpel and <laughs> say, hey, I'm going to do heart surgery this way. This time. <laughs> it doesn't so, work like that. Yeah. Yeah. Someone did plant someone the other day, I heard. I heard yeah. about blending <laughs> livers and stuff. Yeah, in crazy. Yeah. Uh, but so the more reading I did, the more it just made sense. And, and I found this program at Brock University down here in Niagara. 
So transferred my credits and then kind of got advanced standing in the program, finished school at Brock. And after that, I took off for a while. I uh, made wine, uh, well, part of Brock, actually, I did exchange in Switzerland, Italy, and France. And so mm-hmm. getting more in touch with old world style of winemaking and the culture and tradition behind food and wine. And it really, really inspired me. So I just decided I was going to travel and made wine in a bunch of different places um, before making my way back to, uh, to Canada. And yeah, it was great. It was another it also offered me the opportunity to travel and just kind of taste different styles and take things. I didn't, I think in my heart, I always knew I wanted to come back here, but at the time when I first started in the industry, it was very different. So I was just looking at taking things from Australia, New Zealand, France, Italy, you know, the United States, BC, and just saying what would work for me back here in Niagara, obviously you have to do things differently, but what, what do I like about this? And so yeah, came back and then kind of met up with William the way that worked. And uh, we've been playing around with all this stuff ever since. It's been, That's uh, sick. It's been fun. You guys are a good team, making a good team, doing yeah, some yeah. very interesting stuff. Yeah. yeah it's very cool. Good I can't believe the shit awesome. that he lets me get away with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, if, you can, if you can do it, yeah. please keep doing it. Because this shit is awesome. Yeah. Um, okay, that's sick, man. Very, mm-hmm. very cool. Uh, I, I spy yeah. BQA. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to say Pinot, unless you want to maybe show a Gamay's Rosé Barrel quickly. Uh, if you want to grab one Yeah, we'll we can we're try to jump right into this. No, do the Pinot first and then, actually, <laughs> because the Rosé is probably bigger than this. <laughs> that. So yeah. this was my favorite one. When to, uh, Brad and I and uh, Tiff's mom, uh, we came down in, uh, like in the summer. We hung out with Ryan. Are you, you going to finish this one? Oh, yeah, sorry. I'm going to finish it. What do you think? Yeah, it's pretty delicious. I'm always going to finish it, is the answer. Chris's stuff is really, really tasty. Oh yeah, this is that's fantastic. I'm so impressed with that cider. It's good. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this sour cherry apple stuff is really good. Yeah, I feel like I really need to do that. Yeah, this is this is exactly what uh, what Ryan was doing. We came in to visit in July, and uh, he was like, "You went through." Uh, this one. Yeah. He went through and uh, was like, "All right, I'm gonna mix you. I'm gonna show you exactly what this is gonna look like." So we, like you went and got like three different barrels and like the steel and stuff and like pre-mixed that. I never had that before, and it was super super sick. Yeah, that's something that that we've tr- we've kind of talked about is that wine. Ryan actually constructs his wines. Um, it's not just a single fermentation um, in one vessel and then goes from there. It's actually being mindful of building it, as yeah. you mentioned, from the use of different types of oaks of sizes and ages uh, and different inert vessels or not to really build. Uh, flavor profiles and aromatic and tannin structures right. um, in the wine. And I think that's, that's paramount. This is really uncommon, right? Um, it's, it's less common. Less common. Yeah. People do it. Um, like blending is a regular blending thing. Blending is a regular like, thing. You guys are really blending. Yeah. Like it's like with the locked and loaded white, you know, it's one grape, but he made it in several different ways and blend them back together. That's not very common. You know, no. most people would just be okay, here's my tank of Chardonnay, boom, fermented, throw in a bottle, we're done. Done. You yeah. know, and, and, I'd never experienced with another winemaker that had that had done that, um, which was phenomenal. And uh, so that's why working with Ryan is really, really inspiring. Um, just because, again, of all, all the other winemakers I've worked for or worked with, they've never approached wine in that way. Right. And so um, the fact that we have the ability to do it um, and that we have the control to make the products that we want to, I think the sky's the limit for flavor possibilities yeah and that's what the coolest thing is hell yeah man this is super sick 
So this this uh, this Pinot, this one appealed to me because it was the first time I'd seen an unfiltered wine, and being you know the haze fan that I personally yeah. am, I thought this was just the coolest thing ever. Yeah, um, and it's such a still such a beautiful black color. Yeah. I know it's uh, yeah. that's, that's the one thing. Whenever I, I uh, take this to either uh, gatherings, parties, or, or you see it at a restaurant, and when the light hits it, and it's just yeah. this, this beautiful color. It's it's not to describe uh, it. Yeah, it's it's it's, 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 like, it's not a, it's not even a ruby. It's not no, it's not a it's garnet. It's it's somewhere in the middle there, but yeah. it's got this glow to it. You know, it's because that haze that's there. And uh, but that's the thing resoundingly, people are like, oh, this is just beautiful. Yeah. I think it's awesome. This is the one that convinced me that you guys were the Bell Woods of wine. Ah. Just because I'd never seen it before and I just thought that like, you know, like so many breweries in Canada and like you know, we travel a lot for beer. So like it was when we discovered that sort of New England style IPA and we realized that like no one here was really doing it. Bell Woods were one of the early guys in really doing it uh, in, in as good if not better than a lot of uh, American breweries. And uh to see it in wine, I know it's a ridiculous comparison, but it was just something to me was a real small indicator that, hey, man, these guys are... Like, I didn't know the full story about the Locked and Loaded and stuff, mm-hmm. but just doing something different. Yeah. This was before, like, long before mm-hmm. the Cutting Bells and, yeah. like, oh, yeah. uh, other, bre- other beers and stuff. Yeah, these, so, were, these, these were in motion last fall, right? And some of the other product came a little bit sooner. Um, but it's, it's just interesting to see that you can apply techniques of what craft breweries are doing towards wine yeah. from not only a... Uh, perspective of flavor development but marketing as well it's really really yeah. important right that's where the inspiration for this came from is, is looking at what the craft beer scene has been doing. that's why really? when you asked earlier about uh you know craft beer scene is crushing the wine industry and you're 100 accurate that's where i look at the, what the craft beers are doing because they are killing us right um you know it's because of proxy right the location within toronto being yeah, so close to the city yeah people do biking choice. tours you know people yeah. do biking tours to cross from breweries and that's amazing that's awesome you know mm. go grab a couple of times I mean, they do it out here too but it's uh, out here. Where's that? I mean, still drive. You still have to drive or have a higher driver at some point. You know, take you a long distance. Yeah. Um, most of the time, so it does differ a little bit. But the craft beer scene has been killing it, and that's why I've always looked at. Well, not always, but in the last couple of years I've been looking at what the craft beer scene has been doing because it's inspirational to see that, like I said, a commodity that has been seen as something where it's just beer. You know, mm-hmm. your standard lager or pilsner, and they've elevated it where people are now spending more money on beer than they ever have yeah. per unit or on a monthly basis. It's phenomenal. They did something Sorry. right, right? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Exactly. You know? I like to support businesses, Tiffany. Yeah. <laughs> I support Canada. All right? <laughs> no, and that's really sick. I think that's really, really cool that, that a winery is doing that and that's what's so attractive to us and that, that specific characteristic about Rosewood is why I think that our audience will, will appreciate that because you are taking a leaf from the craft yeah. beer sort of model and, um, and, and applying it to wine. So one question I had on that was, have you guys noticed a demographic change in over the last few years at, by any chance? Like as far as like, mm. if you think of wine, what do you think of? Do you think of that sort of baby boomer, you know, cruising through, yeah. like, you know, none of no one's working, retired, chilling, doing their thing. Whereas like, you know, we come through Niagara once, uh, not enough, a couple times a year probably. You know, I, I feel like I see a fair few more younger people, but even just being here today, it was mostly yeah. older yeah. Uh, couples or you know, groups or whatever. Yeah. So have you guys noticed, like, has it changed at all? Have you seen it, a change? I, I personally would say, yeah. Um, yeah. I would say Good. even the last year and a half alone, um, and maybe this is because of also, like, the 
um, the use of Instagram has increased. You yeah. know, we've yeah. been trying not to say to tailor our Instagram. It's not what it's about. It's about just having fun on Instagram. Yeah. That's what it's about is showing good photography and, and really being reflective of what we're doing, you know, and being yeah. honest about it. That's why I love the story feature. Just throw up a whole bunch of stuff there that's, you know, up there because you're showing what's happening in the back, like running up to the guys in the cellar during harvest and telling them, asking them, hey, what are you up to? Yeah. You know, and people love that. The amount mm-hmm. of response that we have from those stories, people loved it because we're showing literally what's happening. Yeah. It's not, it's not smoke and mirrors anymore. It's, no. This is what we're doing. Real behind the scenes. This, like, is, yeah, the this is what's happening right fun. now. Yeah. You know, and, Very uh, cool. and I think that's what's happened. And, and uh, I think that that tool alone has really helped bring down the overall age of the people walking through hmm. our door uh, right. and buying our products. And, uh, and I think they're also the better, they're going to support our products like this more. So when we keep making the interesting left field stuff, exactly. Right. We keep making that kind of stuff. They're going to be receptive of it. So it encourages us to keep making because we have people saying, Hey, I want it. You right. know, they're going to keep fighting at the door for it. And, you right. know, you know, what if one day I even heard rumors, I even heard some people that were trying to trade a couple bottles of Nebulous for other stuff because you know, going Wouldn't to be one, you guys, we're trading beers and stuff. I've yeah. seen that happen in the beer circles. <clears throat> oh, yeah, we um, when I saw that, I was like, that's really cool to see that people want to trade stuff for it. You know, like oh. that's, that's, that's becoming a rare commodity where yeah. money isn't the only object anymore. Right. Yeah. There's more value to something in, in a consumable form than money. Um, cause money is just money at the end of the day. You can always make it back. What's helped with it too is the seeing a lot more, uh, actual wine bars coming to that's a great like, point yeah. like yeah. you come yeah. in accessibility you yeah. you can buy you know one or two ounces you in get like a, flats urban landscape. Like exactly yeah, flats, yeah. which is the sickest yes. thing ever so you can have somebody like and you know or sommeliers and people in the service industry are extremely more highly educated than they have been in the past or yeah. you know they're learning more and more and they're learning the stories of the wineries so they can they're like an extension of our tasting room. We can only reach so many people here. Of course, yeah. But having meetings with these people who are very well educated and informed, they can relay that message to a younger, wider audience, you know, who's going out downtown Toronto and they find us there and then they come to the winery. So it's not just this, you know, again, staunchy somebody just walking up to your white tablecloth table at a, a very expensive restaurant yeah. and telling you what to drink on a list. Yeah. They're offering you a wide variety of things that you could taste and make exactly. up your one and then have a conversation. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's really bringing, that's what I, like I would say we all enjoy it and you guys too, we all enjoy that about breweries. You can go to a yeah. brewery, you yeah. get a nice fly, you get four or five little, you know, four yeah. ounce pours or whatever and like try a bunch of stuff and give me a full pint of that and yeah. you can talk to the bartender or sometimes the owner comes out and just has a chat yeah, the master sure. comes out yeah. and there's this real like it's really nice community yeah. vibe so that's really cool that like you know wine bars are taking uh, taking a little bit of that from beer I think yeah. that's really important though like if that's what's popping and, and wine has traditionally been this sort of I don't know upper class upper echelon type of like you yeah. know it's not sno- like, kind of snooty hugely type snooty. of thing snooty's been resounding there constantly that's what that's again why we're <clears> applied, like right you guys look farmers. like brewers like yeah we're farmers. people will see the pitch and be like yeah. oh this is not a brewery look at the barrels there. Yeah. where's the sour's at yeah. yeah exactly yeah no I think that's super sick because yeah. I think yeah, wine is from the earth. We got to remember that, you know. Yeah. Like Ryan and I went to uh, an event called Gold Medal Plates um, a couple weeks now, month, a month or two ago. Uh, it's a formal black tie event, almost. Okay. Um, maybe not formal, formal black, but it's a formal event. Um, and Ryan and I looked at each other, and Ryan's just like, "Look, we're in the middle of harvest. I'm tired. I don't have clean clothes. I have plaid. 
<laughs> and I said, you're right. And so I messaged the chef, um, and Chef Romain Avril from Chez Lavelle or Chez Lavelle. And he was just like, uh, I was just like, can we wear our plaid to the event? Are you okay with that? Because of the, like, how formal the event is. Are you okay if we walk up with jeans and plaid? And he's just like, you're the producers. Do what you want. So, yeah, that's kind of true. You guys can get away with whatever. Yeah. And so we did. We like, I, for sure, I went dressed exactly like this. And the amount of comments that we had of people just loving the idea that we were just like there as people, that this is how we walked off the You weren't there wearing a suit and nope. some other stuff. Nope. Like, All the other wine people were. And we we're just like, no, nope, this is who we are. That's safe. Right? And I think that's important because this, we grow this. It comes from the earth. We have dirt on our boots because we go to walk the field. We go to walk the vineyards. Yeah. It comes in. We have to make the product. Right. That's where it comes down to. And that's what people relate to. And I think that was the problem, excuse me, with wine traditionally is it hasn't been relatable for the exactly. average person. Yeah. It's this very small group of people, but and why should wine be as well? And great point. Yeah. And now these wine bars are coming and it's become like, and like people talk a lot of shit about hipster culture and stuff like that. Like, and I, I find that really like unfortunate because yeah. a lot of the things are like, for better or worse like the things hipsters like are pretty cool craft beer good food third wave coffee yeah, like we're coffee exactly. snobs too yeah. so love coffee. like hell yeah of course you would i would be surprised if you did yeah exactly and and i feel like that's all translating sort of through society now mm-hmm. it's like people like you said before like people like flavor why wouldn't you want to come to drink them why should wine just be for you know the retired people with a whole bank of money yeah like why can't you know this is expensive stuff but then so is bells Exactly. Like six, yeah. this, I mean, like, these are like $22 six pack, four packs, I'm sorry. Yeah, like six but, or eight bucks a piece, right? Yeah, and it's worth every penny to yeah. me, man. Like, and I'll, I pay that. Yeah. I, man, I should own shares in Melbourne, seriously. Yeah. Like, <laughs> money I'll Sounds like you should. Blue color, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> like, seriously. And, and I, I'm happy to support these breweries because, and that's why we come here. And I'm, the price point doesn't really. I mean, I might drop a thousand dollar bottles and stuff, but if I can get a bottle of this for uh, but pound for pound, like I mentioned before, people are spending more money on beer now than they, have, than they yes. ever have. And I guess and, I, would that carry across to wine too? Uh, I think it's it's like right. they're drinking less, but they're drinking better. Yeah. Yes, and, and I think isn't, but isn't that everything? Like people go and buy like a, a six dollar six pack of unless you're splashing it for like you know New Year's party or something, you know, like yeah, no, I don't care, man. Like I, we went to a brew pub last night. I got a bunch of really expensive beers for New Year's Eve and stuff because I don't care. Yeah. Like, it's not about the money. Like, actually, really expensive. It wasn't really expensive, but it's not like, I, for the amount of money I spent, I could have got a case of Cooler's Light mm-hmm. and I got, like, five beers. And I'm like, I don't care, though, at all because that's, it's all about the quality. Yeah, and that's I agree. the same with wine. Like we were, But I think that also happens with time. Like, uh, you mature into that a little bit, right? Like, uh, when you're 19, 20 years old, you just want to get a case and just crush and get, it. Yeah. You know, like, like, not that you don't know any better, but that's what you're that's answering. What like you want a shots of vodka and you want to just smash course. But as you, as you grow, you start to appreciate, you know what, like I'm going to get, I'm going to get wasted, but I want to do something a little bit better. Like, yeah. Let's just be real here. You know, like that's just what's going to naturally happen. That's right? it. Like, and the lack so. of preservatives in products like these, mm-hmm. you don't get that same hangover. Yep. You don't get that same sort of crazy feelings and stuff. And I just, I don't know, once you get a taste of flavor, why would you go, you know, you go to a... It's so hard. You can't go back. Like, it's how can you go to McDonald's? Yeah. 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 Yeah, you can't have Folgers coffee after having like a single origin. Oh, we have battles about the type of coffee that comes into this. I was going to say, the coffee, oh, yeah. I don't know what you just yeah. gave me out the back there, but that shit was great. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of coffees and people argue about it. They want this, they want that. We <laughs> got like five like, different coffee makers, right. how we make coffee. <laughs> but it was not like, I was. I had just straight black coffee. Yeah. I guess it was percolated. I didn't even look. 
and it that was, was fantastic. Other, I wanted to comment. I wanted to ask. Group, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't remember the coffee being that Gabby used, but it was just a uh, percolation. Yeah. And that's fine. It's not about the the method. It was yeah. the bean was great. Yeah. So like it, it didn't absolutely. I know I could tell. I meant to ask someone like, yeah, what is this? Because this was great. Cool. And you know, I will uh, find it on the way out. Yeah, we'll double check. All right, so this is the uh, like this is the so swamp juice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's actually a great lake to have a beer called. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, tell us about this one, man. Yeah, uh, so this is um, rosé, which you know, like I was saying, I was going back to when I was going to school in medicine. I was like what, 19, 20. I'd be drinking wine at parties. Whoa. And you know, or rosé or something, because yeah. I like it. And I've had my frat boy buddies who'd be like, are you drinking strawberry wine? And, <laughs> and you're like, no, nah, Actually, bro. no. No. That's classic. <laughs> Let me tell it you about it. It comes in a box, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, so this is um, Gamay Rosé. Wow. That you might have noticed, like I took from a couple different barrels there. So you make, there's a couple different ways to make rosé, but uh, the way that we like to do it is Sanye, so you let the grapes sit on the, the juice, or the juice sit on the skins. Mm-hmm for however many days you like, and I'd check by color. But it's not, typically rosé is done in a more conventional way because you want to turn it over to market, make return on your investment very quickly, release it in the spring, summertime. Of course, yeah. This, uh, we're going to get a little funkier with where it's wild fermented without select yeast in barrels, but each barrel that I took off, I let the juice stay on the skins for a different amount of time. Okay. So some of it was quite dark, others a little bit lighter, and then you ferment it wild just because I've never done it that way before. So we'll have, you know, 200 cases of this or something like that. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, dry, no sugar. A lot of people think rosé is sweet. This is not, not, so, not sweet at all. No, it's, it's completely dry. There's so, some you know, additional, like, I don't know how to describe it, but there's like some actual, like, there's something got, like got deeper, guts. got, got a bit more, guts. yeah, got more guts than a, than a yeah. typical rosé, and I, I do like that crispness, but it's juicy. Yeah. It's, got, it's like it's a got halfway. Round, you did uh, describe it as a halfway between like a red and a rosé, with more of a yeah. rosé profile. Uh, uh, it's just a, like I said, ooh. kind of a fun wine. I mean, like oh my I, gosh, it's amazing. I'll let we'll let it sit on the on the yeast for to, you know, when we until it's finished, we'll rack it off. Um, and release it maybe what next next fall something like that but it'll be an odd release because you know you expect normally rosés to be to released be like, yeah, in June, spring for yeah. the summer yeah. um but this, this you can time. drink think about it we're in the middle of winter and this is drinking beautifully like, oh, yeah. like you know because of that you shouldn't way. pigeonhole mm. wines or beverages i talk about flavor <laughs> uh based off of the like the time of year alone mm. right like think imagine this with turkey or a roast for thanksgiving It'd be delicious. It'd be fucking delicious. Yeah, like, why draw. wouldn't you do that? No, right. No. Like, Gamay Noir is an is an awesome grape. We love growing it, and we love having it in our cellars. And this is a small example of what you can do with it. Uh, and the wine that's going to come out of this as a table wine after after Ryan has been making this is is even more exciting. I think. Even right. this is very exciting. I so love this. this. Is going to be multiple uh, wines from these barrels. Well, this is going to be the, the <clears throat> barrels that are this are like this. So this is the Gamay Rosé, but then he finished Gamay the rest Rose, of the wine. Okay. Yeah, finished yeah. the wine as just Gamay Noir as a table wine. So just a red wine. Oh, fantastic! Um, and uh, the preliminary tastings right now that are tasting right now are tasting very, very well. I'm I can imagine. About it. If this um, is, and this is still like a solid six to eight yeah well, i mean the wine is going to kind of tell yeah. us what it wants to do yeah we'll see okay so we just keep trying and that's kind of yeah. how it works same as you just keep trying you that's know, why i spit because i gotta yeah. taste through this stuff regularly and no i just be shit faced by lawn chips yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's that whole like whatever 10 plus percent just kind of adds up yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's just so strange i'm just so not used to 
anyone spitting anything out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's always, even like I was saying, like for when we came through in summer, like, yeah. and I was watching, you had this like crazy aim, like you had a bucket <laughs> with the thing and it was like, you're like two meters away. Then, Damn, bro. I've done this before. Skill. Um, that was phenomenal. That was honestly probably my favorite even today and that yeah, beating yeah, the nebulous yeah. and that was... Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm a huge fan of this. That's why I asked Ryan to show it because I really, um, every time that. I've seen it, uh, it's gone through weird days for sure while it's fermented no, and yeah. gone through malolactic fermentation. Uh, but it's it's overall it's a very very interesting wine. And one thing I don't know if Ryan mentioned this, maybe I wasn't paying attention, but um, each of the barrels is different because he had ten uh, five tanks, drew two barrels worth of the rosé at different um, times, yeah, at different times, so yeah, different, different stages <clears throat> of of time on contact with skins. So each barrel or set of barrels is different. Um, and so the harmony of each of them together is what's going to create the diversity and the the beautiful expression of this Gamay Rosé at yeah. the end of the day, which is going to be really cool to see. Is this similar and, to what it would taste like in the end? Or is it like uh, yeah, it's not, it's not going to be too... Yeah. It, it's, uh, what I want is for when it sits on those leaves, it's to build up more texture. Okay. So right now it's a lot of fruit and like vibrancy, which I don't want to lose. But as it sits in the yeast cells, they go through something called autolysis, so they, they break down and they help contribute to mouthfeel, texture, and I mean, but we, we're not gonna filter it. We're gonna, if I can get away with it, I won't add any sulfur to it. It may just need like a little bit, but as long as it's stable, we won't we won't sulfur it, just kind of release well, it. Well, it's even like the Pinot. Uh, the Pinot, you had only, what, 10 parts or 15 parts total sulfur? Uh, it was something quite It was under 20, yeah. 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 So it's seen a very, very small amount of sulfur. Right. Um, and, and that's what, you know, Ryan probably will be shooting with this for and the other products as well. For those who don't know, including myself, what does the sulfur do briefly to the wine? Uh, <clears throat> basically, it's just a preservative, yeah. really. is okay. kind of like Keeps there's sites up. that um, oxygen can bind to in a wine that creates effectively what's called um, the same as with any fruit. Like I said, you know, you're eating, uh, you're eating an apple and you're talking. Brown like this yep. and it gets exposed to air, it turns brown. Yes. Same thing would happen with wine. It'll like oxidize or you know, it'll turn to vinegar, spoilage can happen. So sulfur basically without getting too much into it acts as an antioxidant and an antimicrobial agent to protect any kind of spoilage from happening. Very so cool. if you're a wine, you know, our wine doesn't sit on the shelves for months and months at a time, we can bottle with lower levels of sulfur. Uh, we can bottle without filtration if we want to, as long as it, um, you know, but we're not going to release these natural wines that are flawed just for the sake of dogma. Right. We want to make, yeah. it's a very pragmatic approach to make the more, the best wine that you possibly can that's as reflective as possible without it being flawed. You know? Right. Makes sense. Because mm -hmm. I guess a lot of the craft beers don't get, we don't really have preservatives. I guess because as soon as you put preservatives well, in Well, the hops becomes, act as the same thing. Yeah. They act as a, a natural preservative. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's a good point. That's um, why, you know, they put hops in beer. The IPAs was to yeah, survive the, the original, trip to... The Burton on Trent yeah, on the exactly. way through. I read that. Did you read that book? That Pete Brown, um, no, Hops and Glory? No. no. Yeah, it just no. describes the original journey. But this dude in England is a, a beer writer. Pete Brown, his name is. And he actually got a barrel of, uh, um, of pale ale and hopped the shit out of it, put it in a barrel and actually took a ship or took a boat from Burton on Trent in England down the thing and then an actual ship and put it in the, the bow right at the bottom and did the whole thing through Brazil and under mm -hmm. the coasts of uh, South, uh, South Africa. And, Madeira. Yeah. yeah, pretty serious. Yeah. It was a very interesting book because I didn't know that it was so serious. And, uh, yeah, had, a, had actually a, a, 
a reason <clears throat> as to why it was done <clears throat> not for flavor. Yeah, it was preserved right? flavor, yeah. exactly, yeah. So we sort cool. of forget that, particularly in this double dry hopped age yeah. where everything is dry <laughs> up to the tits and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's honestly everything to me. Yeah. Um, so should we try these yes. guys? So these are some interesting ones, eh? So now we're moving into a different <clears throat> spectrum. So uh, this first one here is a uh, Mead Royale. Okay. Um, so this is a honey wine now, so the first true honey and wine. And that's what a mead is, a honey mead, wine. Yes. Okay. So I do have to apologize. Uh, I interchange the word mead and honey wine very frequently. That's um, okay. Just because um, over the last you know decade of, of helping make and market these things, um, most people don't know what mead is. Most people say mead is, you say honey wine, or sorry, you say meat instead of mead. Right. So they think we're selling meat, uh, <laughs> and, and we're not. So no. that's why we changed honey wine and why a lot of the honey wines actually say honey wine on the label, because we want people to know and recognize that it's wine made out of honey, and that's hmm. it, right? And that's why if you look at the label, it has a uh, high contrast of gold foil or gold leaf, um, with the honeycomb uh, and the black black background, right? So right. that it actually is a little bit more. Um, so what what would therefore be the difference? Just a, a touch. A rinse. Oh, rinse things. Pour it out. Oh, guys, it's heard no. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm gonna drive. I don't know what you're doing to me, mate. Um, so what is the difference then? between a uh, a mead that is like in this style and then a mead that you can get that's kind of carbonated that they sell at the LCBO in the beer Right, section. so um, that might be the Bragus that you might be talking about from someone like... Uh, like Those little cans they make, those almost Red Bull size cans. Uh, um, would that now there's like a peach mead and they had like... Yeah, a, so that's, that's, that's from um, Trafalgar. So, Trafalgar, yeah. yeah. So they're doing, a, they're doing their... That, those are their versions of Bragus. Um, I'm not going to get too much into what they do and what we think of those. Um, <laughs> I like I like the realness. Uh, but basically, a, a still traditional honey wine is just a wine made out of honey. So the use of water and honey, uh, and then either added yeast or natural yeast that's allowed to uh, begin fermentation in the in the in that uh, combination of honey and and water must. Um, right. And we allow this wine to reach a certain point or those honey wines reach, reach a certain point of alcohol with a certain amount of residual sugar after to Oof. balance the palate out. Right. Um, and then, then some sort of maturation program, so either in barrel or tank or combination of either or, uh, and then some bottle time as well, depending on what those products are destined to become or where they're oh. supposed to go. Um, the braggots are <clears throat> essentially malted honey wines. And then either they can right. be forced carbonated, mm -hmm. so injected with CO2, or bottle conditioned. Right, we should um, that. We're going to get into the latter. We're going to actually, when we're going to start playing with it, is going to be playing with barrel-aged malted honey wines that are then bottle conditioned, essentially. Oh, so Old-school um, styles. Yeah, old-school styles, again, making <clears throat> slow mead, right? That's, slow mead. That's pretty much what we're going to get into, you know? I love um, that. And that's what mead is. Mead is slow because what we've noticed is that over time, meads need more time during fermentation, during maturation and bottle time to mm -hmm. really, really to open up and to become themselves. Right. Um, they're very, very austere and, and strange in their youth uh, when they're first made and then bottled. Uh, and after a couple months in bottle, that's when they start to really open up. And then a couple of years in bottle is even better. Um, I opened up a almost 10-year-old honey wine for the team a couple months ago, and they were floored with it. And the right. first thing they all said was, we sell our honey wines too young. Uh, At 10 years old, the honey wine was still really young. Good. Damn, and it's really good. Think about that. You know, like How old is this one? This is this is fresh. This is the this is a new one that we made. This is the uh, first Mead Royale that uh, we had made actually uh, together right. uh, this year. 
and uh, starting last year into this year. And uh, this is our one of our core honey wines that we're most well known for and over the years I'd say has sold the most volume of in total um, because the um, it's got a little bit of sugar, as people expect when you say honey wine, you expect it to be sweet. Um, it's not cloyingly sweet, so it doesn't like stick no. on the palate and, and overload you. Yeah. The acid's refreshing, it, yeah. it drinks really well with cheese. You can use this into cocktails, <clears throat> so a lot of bartenders like this for cocktail mixing. Um, and, and you can use it at home, drink it on the rocks if you want to cut the sugar even more. So there's a whole bunch of different ways to use this. It's really, really interesting. Fantastic. Man, that is crazy. It's definitely sweeter than I anticipated, like this sweeter than a white wine. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah, we have a we had a yeah, we had a drier version called Harvest Thank Hold. Um, we sold out of it, and we haven't made another one yet because we're not sure what we want to do with it. We don't know if we wanted to recreate it or we want to play into a different spectrum like the brackets. So, right, we're going to decide what to do with it soon. Um, but for now, this is this is our, our core, and right now our driest traditional still honey wine. Damn, done with it. There's like, some more to taste through, man. Yeah, it's, true. <laughs> it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? Yeah. I like your attitude. <laughs> you know, okay, I'll do the same because, uh, yeah. Oh, I just. It's <laughs> <laughs> a moment. Delicious. Awesome. Yeah. Like I so said, yeah, this is very. This is so foreign to well, us. Well, when you came, this wasn't available just yet. We'd released this after you came. Ah, um, yeah. I you would have definitely. Were we sold yeah. out? At that yeah. Point, yeah, at that point, yeah. we were sold out. So um, the Mita Royale, that one typically sees about six months of oak aging um, before it actually hits the bottle. And then we try and give it a little bit of bottle time before market. Um, but because this product, we were sold out of it for about six or seven months before we released this, we had to get this to market because people were just like, again, clawing at the door saying, hey, like, we want this. Yeah. Um, so we finally decided that we needed to release it a little bit. Um, Is this a, check this one's corked. Well, I'm going to make sure Ryan's okay with it. Yeah. It's good. It's good? Okay. <laughs> I like that. It's quality control, right? Captain. Yeah, no, you know what? I appreciate that. Oh my God, it's completely different. All right, so um, yeah, going back to... Uh, so Honey Monster was the addition of apple and honey together. Oh, this is the other um, way And the oh. exact ratio of honey to juice or honey to cider, um, I don't know what he had in there. So I could ask Chris, but I don't know for sure right now. Um, but Legacy, what we do here is uh, based off, like I said, my grandfather's recipe. So a recipe oh, that he wrote yes, yes, back yes. in 1980, he um, tucked it away into a desk and then he passed away in 85. We then found the recipe only two years ago when my, when my grandmother passed away and we went through her desk. Uh, and then we re we remade it, um, and we called the legacy for his yes. legacy. That's fantastic. Um, because this is the this, this is, is the inception right? of his dream of making commercial honey wines available in Ontario. Very, very I feel very fortunate about that. I have the ability to do this, and yeah. I think this is a small piece of the story that's very important to us, and why we're going to try and keep this product um, alive yeah. for as long as we can. Because it's, it's it's part of us. It really is. Mm. So this is yeah a very Ooh. simple uh, addition of and much sweeter than the last yeah. one. So it's almost I mean that in a good way. three yeah. times as sweet than the previous one, um, but it's got higher natural acid because of the apple cider and also yeah. natural tannins. So heritage cider apple brings tannins as well, so it's going to help round out the palate and create some balance uh, to it as well. So uh, it's a very very clean style um, uh, honey wine, and now by definition this is a sizer. So sizer is a honey wine or mead made with apple cider right uh, versus the first one is just a traditional uh like hydromel a, right they call it or a hydromel right. which is just standard honey, honey wine. wine yeah and right. uh, so this is the addition of apple cider and honey co-fermented so we don't like to blend things that are finished fermentation after the fact we like to create the flavors uh for the honey wine whilst they're together right uh, that's something that we're really really big into fantastic man 
I've, yeah, I don't think I've really had much stuff like this, have we? This is crazy. Man, like if you're a beer person, like this is the type of stuff you need to be drinking. This is crazy. A lot of the beer people I know as well are really into um, so this variety of stuff. A lot of them, like what are you on now? They're drinking liquor and spirits and different type of stuff. So, I mean, like this is just so fascinating. The like, variety is supposed flavor. to life, right? So. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of this stuff, like... It's drinking a lot too. You yeah. have to cut. It's going good? Good. If you guys are happy, then I'm happy. Like, I feel like this is the type of thing you need to come to a place like this to experience firsthand. Yeah, I mean, um, if there's sugar in it, we'll figure out a way to make alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's what that was. Yeah. The honey? The honey yeah, beer in it? The, the honey got alcohol? Uh, I'm joking. The honey yeah. is. It could, it could there, right? Yeah. It could. And we talked about apple earlier, but uh, as you notice on the front, we actually made our own apple. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that. If you got that close up on that. Yeah. That's fire. Yeah, this is I got another, another idea from another team, team member uh, who said, why don't you try this? I said, cool, let's do it. And boom. Bam. I love it. I like that because Sell when the people, the team then looks back at the products <clears throat> or we look at it, we know that the team was involved in making it. Yeah. Not just from physically the product, but from the appearance as well. We didn't just hire a firm to do it, you know. Even our main label, our hexagon, our, our main label now, um, one member of the team at that point said, why don't we go back to using the hexagon? You know, we're beekeepers at the end of the day. Like, let's use that classic shape of the beekeeper for it. It's a subtle cue to what you do mm-hmm. without it screaming honey wine. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And even, I was just, looked, as you were saying that, I was just looking over the bee on the food over there, like, just very that that bee in and of itself is super yeah. cool yeah. like really strong in all the branding and mm-hmm. stuff so that with that yeah, very very you. cool yeah that's why she's on top of everything <clears throat> yes yeah, so it's very very sick so you know what just before we get into the the last couple we're going to start the lightning round okay sure so this is the first time we've done a lightning round that's not going to be strictly about beer because we're going to switch it up so the first one and uh, i think i'm going to go mostly half half so what would be uh, a guilty pleasure beers and or wine so something you would kind of be embarrassed to admit to fellow either beer nerds or wine nerds that you enjoy. So you I love the Bat 50. The Bat 50? That's oh, the yeah. number one. That's exactly Same what I was going to say. <laughs> that would be like uh, yeah. 80% of people say that. Yeah, the Bat 50 was my it's first beer. I loved no, it. No, no, it's not. Is there a That's wine? what I grew up drinking, right? So Fair. Is, uh, is there a wine that would fall into that, that would be something that you are like everybody that you know doesn't like, be like, ah. Ooh. Mm. That's a tougher one. Uh, doesn't have to be. When wine's bad, wine's really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like I, I gotta admit that it's really bad. Like I yeah. can tolerate most beer because it's beer, right? But like bad wines, bad. Well, I mean, bad. there's uh, a time and a place for everything. For me, like you know, when you make, there's a lot of these like natural wine things that it's just a shoe, like big names and stuff like that, and a lot of oak. At the winter time, there's I, I like with a nice piece of meat, like a big kind of slutty Napa Valley Cabernet. Like, it's just like a big, oaky, kind of like in your face. Why I'll have, is it I'll have a, like, I like that. Why is it slutty? Well, these wines, these wines are, uh, they're kind of made to, for Parker points, right? Like to be big as soon as you open the bottle and to show well at competitions and judges. So that okay. like, but they're drank oh, in 45 minutes. They're like showing a little and, bit of leg. Exactly. Right. So they're big out the gate, but then... Okay. It's, you know, in the back end, not so yeah, much. Yeah, not the one that you put the ring on the finger right. that you're going to invest the rest of your life in. Gotcha. Right? You would take it home to yeah, the mom and dad, but you Good for, uh, you know, good for a short time, for, not for a long time. You parade around the club. All <laughs> yeah. right. Really, I'm, I'm using that. That's a slutty beer, that is. Yeah. Um, a beer and or wine that you would decline under any circumstances. So if you went to a barbecue and you didn't have your drink of choice with you and someone was like, hey, uh, you want this? And you can, uh, 
Do you have any water? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. For, me, for me now, it would be, um, whatchamacallit, uh, the big Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. or uh, Kim Crawford? Uh, yeah. I just yeah. don't want any of that stuff, no. unfortunately. Sorry, Kim. Sally. Make yeah. better wines. Yeah. He's on to a new project now, so that's Oh, it's okay. a bloke? Yeah. Oh, it's a bloke, Kim. Yeah. Sorry, Kim. Yeah. It's she. You suck, Kim. <laughs> it was beer for me. Like, I have a really hard time with wheat beers. And so, like, something like, you know, Blue Moon, is that what the blue one is? Oh, like the called Blue, uh, yeah. blue Harvest Moon. moon. Hang on, what's it called here? Blue Moon? Or yeah. Is it yeah, Harvest moon? moon? What's it called in Canada? It's a different Just name. Blue Moon. They call Blue Moon. It's still called Blue Moon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's available here by the pines and, and stuff. Belgian Moon, they call it. Belgian Moon. Yeah, yeah, in yeah, in America, it's Blue Moon. Yeah, that's where I first encountered it. Rickard's White is apparently the same recipe. Yeah, I can't I can't drink that either. Do you know what? This is this has come up a lot. Like, I'm quite surprised. Like, I would say recently, a lot of lot of people have said that they don't like like wheat beers. I'm sure they're there's heavy. one out there that's that's really they're good. Really heavy. To me, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. this like yeah. cereal note that I get in, like a green, you know, that not to me is like... I can yeah. have half of one. Or the Cronenberg Blanc is not a bad thing. Cronenberg Blanc is not bad for a macro. Yeah. For a macro. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing that I don't drink under any circumstances is ice wine. No? <laughs> not, yeah, I mean, and we're in Niagara, yeah, Ryan. Ryan, Ryan do you guys make less? No, we do not. No, we make mead instead. <laughs> right, instead, <laughs> because Ryan doesn't like it. <laughs> um, favorite beer and or wine style? For me, beer style right now is sours. I love sour yeah, beers. Yeah, for sure. Sour beers are my all-time favorite. I've loved them since the second I had my first Lambique. I loved it. Wow. And just, just went at it. OG. Um, yeah. Most people who love wine love sours. Yeah, wine yeah. is very yeah. much yeah, applicable. Guess. Yeah. Just, Delicious. Yeah. I just find them thirst quenching. I can eat it with anything. Puckering, like, I can have. I can crush them all night long, and I'm just happy. Just, I'm just happy, and with Sam, happy, and that's great. And a hot burn, but it's okay. Yeah, yeah. cheese yeah. will help that. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same with the beer. Salad. Yeah. Um, any any favorite wine stuff? Right now, I'm really kicking on orange wines. Um, I just like again the same thing with sours. I find them, I find them that I can drink them all evening, and I don't feel uh, I don't feel like I'm weighed down or I'm bloated or anything mm. like that. Like I just I drink them and I feel just natural. Like not say that they're natural, just I feel just in a good peace of mind, um, and I really enjoy them. But f- to be more specific, I'm really liking Sancerre and the Loire Valley whites. Um, the variability of what happened in that region is phenomenal, and the expressions of of terroir and of the grape and the vintage is just awesome. And I I really love their wines. They're really really cool. Sick, yeah. Loire yeah. for me too. I really enjoy that. Well, we were just we were there and yeah, like early last year or this year, I should say. Um, but then the other thing that I could probably drink all the time at any time of year is Gamay. And yeah, it's just it's there's super great value. Uh, I mean, you you guys are based in Montreal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The knowledge that a lot of the songs have there to get access to some small Gamay producers that we don't get here in Ontario is and it's fantastic. Like when I, last time I was there, there was some really, really amazing Beaujolais producers that you could get for dirt cheap. Oh yeah, a lot of the French stuff, like you know, you mm-hmm. George de Buff and stuff are pretty good and like they have a bunch of other yeah. local ones. Yeah, it's like for us, like a little smaller guys, there's like yeah. Marcella Pierre and Pacolet and stuff, they, they do some great. Can great you have to go to the wineries yeah. or are they wine bars? Oh, uh, you can get, get them at list. wine bars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like, should get a list of you guys before you go, because like, we can the, find out there. Because we just don't yeah. even know, because it's so hard to get. Right. We come to Niagara all the time, but there's no wine region. There's Montérégie near mm-hmm. Montreal, but it's like, and it's 35 minutes that way to the next winery, where we can walk to like three wineries. Just go a little burgundy. You got everything there. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. That works too. Like, it's but we need to know the places. Yes. I think yeah. that's the main problem. Um, okay, so the next one is opposite: least favorite beer and/or wine style. 
wheat beer yeah. for me. It's it my least wheat favorite beer, beer stuff. Wheat beer yeah. as well for me right now. Okay. Y'all are haters. Uh, wine, overall wine style that I'm not a fan of right now. Mm-hmm. Um, oaky Chardonnay. Like massively oak Chardonnay. I can't stand it. I, I've always heard it. It's kind of like, like a, the mum drink. Yeah. You know, yeah. your mum drinks that. Not, yeah, I not just, a dish. I just can't stand them. Like I said, yeah. you know, you're picking splinters out of your teeth after. It's just it's like you got hit with the head with two of us. Ugh, I, I, just, I had a Chardonnay like that recently from an Ontario producer and I was like dumbfounded by how oaky it was. Yeah, I, I, yeah. and it was and at the end of the it. evening after an event I had to pour it out because I was like, I'm, I'm not even drink. I'm not going to drink this. Mm. And so, I think it's water. Exactly. Fair. No, not water. No, but like, relax, relax. Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> that was too fun. <laughs> Anything? Ice wine. Ice wine? Yeah, I'm not touching it. Okay. Yeah, I don't like oaky shard either, but ice wine for me. Ice wine is low. I don't mind it, but like, Half a shot. Yeah, yeah. With some chocolate. I had them joints where you go, you get the the chocolate shot glass, and they put ice oh, in yeah. it, and you just eat the shot glass. I enjoyed oh, that as a gimmick. Have you had that? I've had it I've here. Not had that. Not you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So they have like dark chocolate shot glasses, just I've like you know, one ounce shot. Yeah. Like the wrong. No, 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 dude. Like an actual, actual like, yeah, it looks like shape receptacle of glass. shape oh, of a glass. Like they put it in a mold, and they'll pour drink into it. You take the shot, and then you eat the Crazy. chocolate afterwards. Yeah. I can't remember where I had it. Tiffin might remember because we always come here together. So I'll let you know where, but I quite enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, yeah, I can see why. But it isn't too dissimilar from the candies, but it's actually wine. And then right. you've got the leftover yeah, in the chocolate. Wine. Yeah, kind of cool. Uh, Desert Island beer or wine. So you do have to drink this shit forever. Like one specific one uh, on a desert island. It's a tough one. Beer or wine. I know, right? Beer or wine has and to be one. Or, well, or. for you guys can have, you can answer one. You can, this is my beer, this is my wine, or you could say, this is the one. This is new territory, remember? So it's okay. I think for me, it'd have to be, the, the, <clears throat> was it the Plum Jelly King that they made? I never had that one. That God damn it, Luke. Oh. Delicious. That was, that was the first sour I had from them. Yeah. A couple years back, and I was like, Damn. I think it was actually like either late, about a year ago or early this it year. It was delicious. No, it wasn't this year. It was last year. It was then. last year then. And I, wasn't I, didn't even know, I didn't even know that they were making sours at that point. I remember I, saw, I was like, What? What is and this then, about? Yeah, I was at a small um, place in Toronto, and I was just like, Damn. And yes, yeah, so it would be that because the, the plum was just delicious. Mm. It, I remember I came back to tell you about it because it was so good. <clears> it was awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, get on there. Try that one. Yeah. So good. Um, and it probably won't bring that back. Wine. God damn you, Luke. I think it'd have to be Tissot Sauvignon from Jura for me. That shit's bomb. Yeah. yeah. Local? Where's that from? No, for but that's Jura. the one you gotta drink for the rest of the time that you're alive? Yeah. Yeah. I could do that. Like or, 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 or I'd have to be an Alsace. That's why I can't pick sour beer because I'd have heartburn. No, <laughs> so that, that, but what if you had like unlimited heartburn medication? <laughs> I'd, I'd suffer through it. Yeah. yeah. I'd suffer through it. It'd be worth it. I think um, so. Or I'd pace myself. Yeah, or you pace yourself. You just take it easy. Yeah. Have coconuts. I'm yeah. assuming I'm an island, yeah. right? Yeah, coconut water. Sour beer. Yeah, coconut water. It's a good combination. Yeah, they're not going to be coconut sour beer. I'll make it. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> that sounds disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it could be what? good. <laughs> Why not? We don't know until we do it, right? That's what all this is about. That's it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to have to take a pass on this one because there's not any foreseeable thing that I can see myself. I respect that. The rest of it. Uh, no problem. You're allowed to pass. Give the, me oh. an unlimited, like, grapes to make wine a different way. Yeah. Equipment to make wine. Or a still so that I could just continue to just make different Make stuff and see what happens. Yeah. Stuff. Hey, that's a good answer. Yeah. Like, give me the stuff. 
and I'll just make it. Right? Or I'd have to go to I'd have to go to Gamay again. Could be a Gamay from like Gamay is yes. Even if it's like thirty five degrees and you're just chilling under oh, a yeah. pine tree. Oh yeah. You're like hell yeah. Oh yeah. Room yeah. temperature. Oh yeah. All right. All right. I, I do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, beer and or wine trend predictions. Ooh. Well, yeah, Pat, yeah. Uh, you see, there's quite a few people who are doing that this year, actually, yeah. uh, in Niagara. Um, are they that good? Are they as good as this? We don't know. Just I, have, I have tried Let's them. find out. Let's I find out. Them. Yeah, do a pet net roundup. <laughs> um, Horizontal? I think you'll see more wineries making things in kind of a way of less intervention. Um, yeah. Or know. less like traditional sort of style? Especially the smaller Yeah, less traditional for yeah. sure. Uh, and beer, I think you're going to see it ease up on the hops a yeah. little bit. Because um, we kind of plateaued there for a while. Things were just like... I think we skyrocketed way yeah, too yeah, fast yeah. and to a point where you're not even tasting anymore. Yeah. You can't physically taste <laughs> yeah. more IPU. So it's like... Well, that was the West Coast there? one. So in my opinion, they went from that and then they went to the New England IPA, mm. which is yeah, yeah. like kind of this style, which is the more fruity, lower bitterness. They don't actually bitter hops. It's got yeah. aroma and they double dry hop the shit out of it with like absurd amounts of hops. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's this kind of trend right now that's kind of now permeated into Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd say sours and gozers are kind of right now. Yeah. And then the next thing. So like, I feel like the West Coast could even come back. Maybe, which is kind of a, mm. what I felt like you were referring to as far as that, like, 150 IBU, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. So everything's DDH right now. Everything's double dry hot. Yeah. Um, the number one thing, funnily enough, a lot of brewers say is um, Pilsen's and Lagers. Oh, yeah. Back. yeah. I would see, I because brewers' favorite styles, like, 90% of the time are Pilsen's and Lagers because you can't hide behind any yeah. flaws in right. that beer if you have a stout or a porter or a... Yeah, you just hop the shit out of it and yeah. then any flaws are gone. Mm-hmm. So that begs the question, is there a wine style that can hide flaws that you could try this wine, it's like a popular style, and you're like, oh, well, but let me oh, see oak, their reasoning or whatever. Right, yeah, that's the thing. Oak and sugar. Yeah. Uh, oak and sugar hides yeah, everything. We'll do it. <clears throat> so um, like the Chardonnay is too yeah. oaky, then you can... And temperature. It's, it's going to hide bad Oh, you just cold. Too. Like, it's like cool as light. You just make it one degree yeah, yeah. and you're like, well, you can't taste anything. It's like really cold. Exactly. You should yeah. get your alcohol fix and that's it. Hmm. Okay, similar type of stuff. Uh, favorite up-and-coming wineries slash breweries? Maybe some ones that you know of that you're like, these guys are sick and they haven't got their props yet. Uh, mm. Well, I think Bench is really just starting. I love yeah. I love everything that they've done so far. Yeah, I've got to have that Citro Grove. I keep hearing about yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's really good, really good. <clears throat> yeah. um, I like Halo in Toronto too. Yes, I still even, I never had this stuff. Mm, it's good. It's, it's pretty sad. I need mm. to try it. Okay. And then uh, uh, Godspeed. Godspeed is sick. Shout out to Brandon. We're just hanging out with Brandon last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Godspeed. Do you know Brandon? Um, I know Luke. Oh, he's the main guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. From Judicial. He actually took some honey from us to do another beer. It seems oh, like yeah? we're like the main honey supplier. Yeah, you guys just collab with all the breweries. Yeah. Like dishing now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fermentable sugars. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So they're they're great, uh, and I again them. I said I like uh, living in Hamilton. I really like Merritt a lot. So, Hell yeah, their stuff's great. Merritt's sick. You got anything? 
Yeah, I was going to say Merritt as well. I've had only a couple of their beers, but um, the team looks like it's great. They have a lot of fun, I think, as well, by the looks of it, um, yeah. which is really cool. So I like that. And uh, it looks like they also like flavor and they like to do different things and they have a unique style about them, which I really appreciate as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I respect them. And Bench as well, like I said, Bench has got some really, really cool stuff that they're doing um, that I think is really fun and creative. And they're gonna, I think they're going to do a, again, a positive good thing for the industry in our region. And I think that's uh, something that we need to be reflective of and, and consider. Hell yeah. um, in terms of wine brands, um, from Niagara? From anywhere. anywhere. Even if it's a, any other region, it doesn't have to be, even be Canada. That's just... a big question. <clears throat> oh, it's huge. Uh, huge. Yeah. Huge as Mr. Trump would say. Other than Rosewood. <laughs> um, other than Rosewood, which is clearly <laughs> killing the game. Killing the uh, game. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, we just came out of harvest. So I feel like I haven't tried anything other than any stuff yeah. in the longest time. Yeah. So let's just run with Rosewood. Yeah. <laughs> so check out Rosewood if you haven't heard of it. Guys. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, favorite beer and/or wine city, destination, or country. So it's essentially a place you go for either beer or wine, or both. Well, um, I know, right? Favorite. Sure, do maybe while you're thinking about that, we'll crack open this bring on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I was actually thinking just now, should we try old smoky before this or this? Yeah, because this smoky this might would this kill the liquor? Uh, he's pretty strong too. Yeah, um, what do you think I, I think don't that's know. we should try that because that's drier or okay. sorry, got uh, that's drier than this, so there's more sweetness in that. Yeah, okay, so we'll do this one then. Yeah. What did you guys do for this? So we didn't do anything with this. I just brought it up because I like it. Oh, okay, cool. That's okay. it. And I think you were saying that you hadn't tried it yet either. So, uh, no, I had it the other day and it was like no, Luca, I remember I, I, I had one of these and I mentioned Luke that I really liked it and he was just like, here you go, have some more. So, um, Great bloke. Yeah. Uh, in terms of cities though, not just for f- beer or wine, but Chicago has always been one of my personal favorite cities. Deep dish. Um, yeah, Chicago is an amazing city for food, wine, everything. The culture there. And people. The donuts, people, everything there. It's amazing. It's the such donuts? A great, yeah. They, oh, the garage. Yeah, yeah the they've, got, they've got awesome stuff there. Um, I was also just in Copenhagen, um, like, literally last weekend, and I was surprised at the wine bars, the beer bars, like, the beer pubs that are there. Like, there's literally a brew pub on every other corner. Um, just the Sounds foundation like of Carlsberg, place. right? Like yeah. they created Carlsberg. The Carlsberg Foundation has been feeding that city money for now generations. It's insane that a whole city has been built around the love of Carlsberg. It's wild. Yeah. And, uh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, I had no idea either. And um, isn't there a part of um, Copenhagen that's like this kind of Amsterdam place where weed is legal and shit? Yeah, the free town of Christiania. Free town, yeah, yeah. yeah, they have a green island off the. So so yeah, so Hmm. Copenhagen has this main island. Copenhagen itself is an island, um, and then they have these man-made islands that they made to the southeast of the city that they have man bridges and uh, and and car bridges over. But uh, these man-made man-made islands that they've made, the various kings have made that they've now put on buildings and they've had them for either like ports or military applications so like to protect the city or to have like merchant and mercantile trades and stuff um and in one of them they had barracks that they used in the world war ii that once the army abandoned they just became they became free and empty and then a whole bunch of hippies kind of just walked in there and started taking over well primarily it was because the hippies but also his families that came in there because they had nowhere else to go 
Okay. So they just took over. And then eventually when, when the government wanted to remove them, they already claimed squatters' rights. And so they couldn't <laughs> be physically removed. Marco. So these families and these, these little hippies had taken over this area and they declared themselves a free state. So they don't consider themselves part of the EU. So they have they govern their own laws. They have their own school system. They have their own garbage disposal. They are their own entity. The only thing they rely on is for currency. So they do deal with now still the Dutch, uh, the Danish krona. Um, but other than that, it's a really really cool little area, and it's just fascinating. So, um, but Copenhagen was a very cool. Like I said, like McKellar's there, and they've got some really really cool products that they make. Uh, they have some brew pubs that have like forty beers on tap every Jeez. single day that rotate. Um, one wine bar there had 300 natural wines um, by the offer every single day, which is phenomenal. So it's it's really really cool city. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So that's a good spot. Have a spot? Uh, yeah, recently I've been to Angers in the Loire. Like Loire is a great ins- source of inspiration for a lot of the wines that we do here. And you know, there's tons of places to go and states and everything. I love for it's like the overall experience of food and wine. I love Montreal, but when you live in the greatest city in Canada, like mm-hmm. I do, Hamilton, Ontario. <laughs> there's, Hamilton. Really no, there's really no reason to leave. Yeah, <laughs> why, why would you leave Hamilton? Yeah. So why I was like, I could take a vacation this year, but I live in Hamilton, so, so I'm just gonna spend my money Paris, in Hamilton. You know? uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been, uh, I think it won the award for best city in the world this year. <laughs> yeah, most I livable? Think, yeah. Beat, beat Melbourne up? Like just in general. Just know? in general, just like, like bestest cleanliness. ever. Best looking <laughs> culture, obviously the best looking. Best looking Hamilton. Best beer. Yeah. yeah. Most factories. Yeah. Most factories that actually don't produce anything, so they don't contribute to the pollution <laughs> because there's no work there. That's what I'm saying. So smart. Highest unemployment. <laughs> you know. Shouts to Hamilton. It's really good to see Hamilton come up there. Yeah. We went there. We went to like when we saw you oh, in July. We went to Mera, and I just I never been to Hamilton before, and I was like, whoa, like. They've yeah. got like skyscrapers. Yeah. It's like, it yeah. took me out. Oh, yeah. like, it just felt like America where they got those little cities near another city. Like, oh, you, you thought know, it was like, like a little suburb or something. Yeah, I thought it was just like this tiny little town, like Barry or something. I was like, oh yeah. shit, it's got like King Street with like 20 in story like, buildings. What was it 1800, late eight, or early 1900s? Mm-hmm. And it was a steel, a steel factory, like town. Right. It was like one of the most proper, prop, um, prosperous. prosperous, thank you, cities in, in, in all of Ontario. Like wow. it was massive. They used uh, to that's make, why Hamilton, yeah. that's why some of the streets are so grand like they're so wide and they have landmark um, fixtures and stuff and statues and all over that city because it was being designed to be this massive city Who would have thought? and then and then it kind of got side railed and boom now it's yeah. Hamilton hey but now there's a bunch of good breweries so yeah, yeah. I'm not mad at Hamilton yeah I, was, I thought you would say that that's pretty funny I'm, I'm glad you did um, <laughs> underrated style or brewery slash winery city or country so maybe something that doesn't Underrated. So whether it's wine, beer, like styles, whatever. Uh, I think sherry is definitely the most underrated. Sherry. Although it's kind of getting popular now. 100% agree. I love um, sherry. Yeah, it's like dad's uh, drink type of thing. Yeah, or you're like, Stay you know, grandmother, the, the, like the you sweet got, stuff. Yeah, and like, they got those little English, mini, like, yeah, barrels like, in there. Like, I'll like clarify that by saying like dry, like fino sherry yeah. is, yeah. is a... Uh, there's a lot of complexity. There's a lot. It's really, really beautiful wine. It's really versatile food wine. Um, And it's uh, in Ontario, I think we're very underserviced uh, when it comes for producers. There's no locals there? No, I mean, it's a protective term, right? Too, like they- Oh yeah, it's one of those ones that has to be in a region? Yeah. Where is that region? Uh, France? um, Himeneth? No, that's (laughs) a great, it was- Hereth. Hereth and Sankolar. Yeah. In France, um, southern Spain. Spain, southern Spain. Sure. 
Yeah. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So southwest corner of Spain, hmm. um, beside Gibraltar and like the Portugal border. Uh, oh, what? Yeah, nice. it's a really cool area. I really want to go sometime. Uh, yeah, Good food and yeah. yeah. Um, cool stuff. Sherry. Wouldn't have picked that. Yeah. yeah. Um, best beer or wine you ever drank in your life? And this is often uh, situation. Oh, Jesus. No, no, it's a big one. <clears throat> Sometimes we have some very, very accomplished brewers be like, oh, it was like fishing and I was on a boat and we did this all day and I was with my okay. dad and then we drank a Budweiser and it was amazing. I was like, bro, really? Like, yeah. So it's very like, you yeah. know. Um, for me, honestly, uh, Deconic from Antwerp yes. is one of my favorite beers. That's a great um, one. And West Flatteren. Uh, 12, the 12E? Yeah. So, kind of like gone down a bit like recently. I feel like it's not as good as it used well, to be. what happened was when they were rebuilting the brewery, right? They, they had it rebuilt the at Saint, they, but they had it rebuilt by uh, they are having the beer brewed at mm. um, Saint Bernard, uh, Saint, Saint Bernard. I think so. Yeah, oh, um, that's why it wasn't that good when they did those six yeah, packs. To, yeah. like, like Saint Bernard is still a good beer. Don't get me wrong. Oh no, that's where that happened. Um, I know it's just because one of my friends is from Antwerp, but um, I remember one time I went to visit him. This was like a couple of years ago. Um, we just rented bikes and biked around the city and it was like every time they 10 o'clock beer o'clock time and start with the conic in the morning and and rode the conic all day and you end up and, and most people don't know but antwerp is a has a big u-shaped river that runs through it and there's river um basically beaches and bars that run on it so there's a bar that has a beach on the river in the middle of downtown antwerp so you can roll up on your bike kick off your kick off your shoes and boom you're standing sitting in a beach crushing the conic and whatever the beer you want and like for me that was just like amazing so so belgium yeah yeah to belgium okay we gotta go i'm excited i've yeah. never been yeah all right i like that uncle ryan uh my favorite was probably like the first time i'd ever been to um the jura region there's a little town called arbois Mm-hmm. And I had never even heard of Jean or Jura wines. This is probably my first year. I was I was 20 years old, maybe 21. And I was on exchange and my friend who uh, was from Alsace, we were studying in Switzerland and him, me and another American guy from California, he said, I really want to introduce you to this wine style because I know you're, you're used to new world wines. So we drove there. Uh, visited this producer we sat in his basement and he sat there and like he's an older guy just in his undershirt he calls for his wife and she brings out walnuts and cheese and he's cracking the walnuts and you know we're tasting wines there that are still fermenting that were you know fermenting for three four years and we're tasting wines back into the 60s this is like the most eye-opening tasting that I'd ever had in my life and uh, just because I'd never even heard of this this wine style before right. and then right when we're about to leave he just gives us a bottle right from the tank uh hadn't wasn't ready for production or for sale yet or anything but he's like go get yourself some lunch and enjoy this so we sat in this park hammered like after yeah, like, yeah, tasting yeah. through all this stuff and we got ourselves like a wheel of comte cheese and just sat in a park ate the cheese drank the yeah, seven and passed out having a nap in the park <laughs> uh for you know like lie there in the summer sun really an hour and then Woke up and was we're fine. Went to you know went go back to uh, Switzerland and stuff. But that was probably the best bottle of wine or the best drink that I can remember having. Awesome. Definitely the most. It like kind of set me on this path for kind of looking at wine differently and less as a manipulated product and more as an expressive product. So that's sick, man. Good story, bro. Um, first wine or beer you ever brewed or made? I guess brewed is always the word. Uh, first wine I ever made from start to finish for me was a wine I made for my sister um, 
that was a wine I made. I, I got a parcel of, uh, I found a parcel of Chardonnay vines that were planted the same year she was born. Nice. And it took me three years to convince the guy that owned them to sell me the grapes to make that wine for her. Um, so, yeah, he was a dick about it. But uh, he's a good guy. We deal with him still. He's a nice guy. Um, but he was just really, he was under contract to somebody else. That's why he was bound to Couldn't not sell it. it. Yeah. Um, but uh, that wine was a wine. And ironically, it's very similar to the style of wine that Ryan makes now uh, or that, that he's making here is that it was a very um, minimalistic, low intervention style wine. Um, just a Chardonnay fermented in barrel with nothing added to it with a small bump of sulfur at the end, at the end with the uh, time of bottling and that was it. Nice. And um, yeah, it was Chardonnay. I called it 86th Chardonnay for her and that was it. Hell yeah. That's done. Yeah, think about that for a minute. But the first one that I probably did from start to finish was we had like a group project in wine school and your mandate was to make just an off dry white wine and it was from this like really shitty unnamed French hybrid that they just, they didn't even know the name of it. They just said, here's the juice, here's <laughs> make it off dry and palatable. And we like probably messed this wine up in as many ways as you possibly could, but it ended up, we thought it was okay at the time. Now that I'm thinking back, it was probably God awful. Still have the bottles? No, no, I mean, <laughs> the reason why is because they, they only gave us one bottle. We, the rest of it, they had to use for the next year's wine classes, the base in which they put flaws in it. So it had to be like, it was basically going to be used for like lab teaching, research yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah. Right. They're like, it's so awesome. bad, it's amazing. And we have to share <laughs> like, and we have to share everyone why it's Your death row beer or wine slash meal pairing. So, like the final beer or wine and then a meal pairing. So, he just named mine, but Comte and Jura is a delicious pairing. Um, with cheese? Yeah, same with, yeah. Same with sherry, it's dry sherry, like Oloroso. Um, Oloroso with Comte, I found also is just delicious. Um, I really, really enjoy it. So that'd have to be one of them. Really quickly thinking, yeah. Nice. That sounds good, actually. Kind of love some cheese. It's right amazing. <laughs> yeah. Comte and Comte and just in general, just, just delicious. Got anything? Yeah. I'm not thinking anything right now. Death row. Like, is there anything that's so sick? Like, some people have, like, I want an imperial stout and oysters. Like, the, like a nice little, like, all right, it's a nice way to... <clears throat> like, a real, like, decadent, uh, like, pairing. Well, we did that, uh, like, the biggest piece of foie gras I've ever seen. Yeah, that was that, that old mead. I don't know if that's my death row one. That one was pretty incredible. Yeah, that was a really uh, awesome pairing. Yeah. What was it, sorry? I, um, oh. Like it's a like ten-year-old mead that that was the first mead made here, and uh, that with like this massive just hunk of foie gras. Yeah, just a that was literally a, like a log like of foie gras. Of that shit. Yeah, it was amazing. That's sick. I mean, if you yeah. ate that and drank that often enough, you really would be on death row. <laughs> <laughs> just fat, duck yeah. fat. Yeah. Um, favorite style to brew slash make? So beer or wine, or mead, or bragging, or honey wine. Oh, my favorite to make right now is uh, well Riesling and Cab Franc. The nice. Riesling done in like old barrels and clay and stuff, and then Cab Franc with whole clusters. That's probably what I, my favorite making it right now. Um, and beer, Bregs are probably the most interesting. We're doing a lot of research yeah. on that, so I can't wait to start doing that. There, there's a whole world there that's kind of untapped uh, that we've seen. So that's probably the most interesting. 
Yeah, for me, I really actually, even though Gamay is a, is a new grape for us, um, I love, I've loved working with Gamay over the years for making just a simple dry rosé. Mm-hmm. And now seeing what Ryan's doing with Gamay is really inspiring. And, and it's really, it's creative and a different spin on it. And I love seeing what the potential of Gamay has for our region. And that's exciting. Right. I think that's the really Gamay cool. Yeah. And, uh, and Old Smoky. Um, which you're about to cry. You know, yeah, to, to make a product like that to me is just so incredible. And I, and I can't believe that we can do that here. And do you want to crack that one yeah. and get to the last two questions? Yeah, for sure. So give me a quick rinse, but this is pretty serious. Man, we went through a few today. Yeah. From, a couple. Is this a record? I don't know. I think 20 is a record as well. Oh, no, it's 13. Oh, 13. Sorry. Should we rinse with this Three, thing? Four, five, four. six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Like, but keep, yeah, just pass it around. Yeah. Put a little more in then and just pass it around. Okay. It should be okay, right? Yeah. Oh, we'll do all that. That's so funny. So, uh, yeah. Let's tell, tell us what this old smoky is right here. So, it's a long story, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour it out so everyone at least can start oh, smelling and drinking it. Yeah. Because it's really fun to actually try this without knowing exactly what happened to it. Okay. So maybe don't tell us anything. Because it's so interesting and really unique. No, no, no. no. Throw, it throw it out. What's the rinse? Yeah. Check oh, that. Wow. Oh, sorry. <laughs> there you go. Oh, how can you get wrong? So this is a uh, really a monumental product for Rosewood and for us because Oof. it's not only the... Um, I think you might have tried this when you were here. Do you think we did? No, we did it for sure. Yeah? No, no, no. I wouldn't remember for sure. Mm-hmm. I was driving. No, so it would have been at a barrel though. Um, oh, you might have drifted them out? Oh, yeah, or was it... Uh, yeah, but you did this like blend. I thought it was like a white blend. Maybe it was a red blend. I did it. Yeah, a couple of them actually. We you did, did actually. Blend, yeah, it got pretty real. So okay, let's not even talk about what it is. Yeah. But it basically it's a honey wine. Um, it's a it's honey. The wine. Strongest. So by ABV, the strongest honey wine that we've ever produced or made in house. Um, a nineteen percent. That's 19. the bo- sorry, the bottle. I was gonna say it smells like a brandy or a, or a sherry or like a. It's it's a, it's its own scent right now. It's, yeah, I was gonna uh, say like I can't quite nail it, but it's similar yeah. to. It's got tones of, of sherry, as you mentioned. And it's got a little bit of this bourbon esque feel I was gonna to say it. Bourbon. Yeah, um, it's yeah. got a little bit, and that's coming from the bourbon barrels that it was aging in for the last six months of of life. Well. Sorry, that translates well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's really really cool product. But uh, I'll get more into the story after if you want to, or ask the last question of your lightning round. Yes. Um, the second last one, worst wine or beer you've ever made? Hmm. Ooh. It's more for lols than to. Out, like they dump like, batches. Yeah, this, yeah. this would have been up there if we had not been like, patient. <laughs> um, this is a problem child that, that I'd get into more, but this, this was up there um, for being the most problematic. This is one of the first wines that Ryan tried when he came into the cellars to take over as winemaker. And his only descriptor was that is horribly awful. <laughs> like it was just beyond like, awful. Yeah, yeah. This, what happened? This product. Um, Why don't you just tell a story? Um, tell a story. All right. So tell basically, what happened was that uh, so we have heaters that we use to heat our honey at a very low temperature um, to get them to liquid. One day, uh, a lady was asked to turn on the, the heater, and she she had a migraine. So instead of turning the dial to one direction, she turned it the opposite way, and so she went to 190 degrees Fahrenheit. So this honey got burnt and turned into molasses, like black like molasses overnight. 
Mm. Um, so we now have, you know, 650 pounds of honey burnt completely to crisp. Um, and what do we do with it? It's, we can't sell it because it's burnt. So we either destroy it, so throw it out, or we ferment it. So we fermented it. And it was garbage, terrible, awful. This most <laughs> trash, super bitter, gray-looking, yeah. disgusting <laughs> thing. It was just gross, like yeah. gross. Um, so this was actually with our previous winemaker, a guy named Ross. Uh, so Ross and I walked away and we went and had a beer just to forget about it, say, screw this, like whatever. And we then tried for the next year to fix it. You know, we did like various things. We tried to spice it, tried to add orange zest to it. We tried to do different things to, to fix it, but nothing worked. It was always just bitter and disgusting. And so it always just stayed in tank. So it stayed in steel for a whole year and a half. Ryan came around, tried the wine or tried the honey wine with us in cellar and also said, this is gross, but it's alcohol. I don't want to throw it out. So, so we'll we figure did. out something to do. Yeah. Just relax. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, uh, Harvest then rolled around, and, and last year we uh, rented a reefer truck, so a refrigerated tractor trailer um, yeah. that sat on the property to hold grapes um, and vessels to chill things down, literally at three degrees Celsius. Um, and one night, so we then, so he then said, "Hey, well, I need the tank for harvest. I'm going to take this and move it into a tote." I said, "Do what you want. Throw it out or put it into the, the tote and leave it." You know. And so we put it into the tote, put it into the reefer truck, and one night I was on I was on shift and I was filling up the diesel truck with diesel, sorry. And I noticed that the alarm sensor had said to me that it was running at negative 30. And I said, that's a mistake. It's a computer glitch. It can't be negative 30. These things can't go to negative 30. That's crazy talk. Negative 30 is butt-ass cold, you know? And uh, so instead of walking away and, and not knowing, I opened the rear doors and sure enough, it was the Arctic inside. It was frozen. My hand almost froze to the door. Um, I ran up there because I knew we had product inside and this mead was frozen solid. So it was burnt. Right. And, and then frozen solid. So that's why some people argue we should have named it Fire and Ice. Um, because it, it, it's gone through both extremes. And so uh, afterwards we removed it. I called up Ryan and said, what do I do? And he's just like, what can you do? Yeah. It's frozen. <laughs> so leave it. And so the next day we removed it, let it thaw. After the thawing completed, um, they were curious to see what it tasted like. And they tried it. And to their surprise... We, we thought we were going to throw it out, but... Your curiosity gets yeah. better, and you're like, "How bad does it taste?" <laughs> <laughs> so we tasted it, and we were like, oh, "It's actually gotten better." Yeah. So it actually went from being a gray color to a pale amber. Yeah. Oh, okay. And Similar so we aged it in French oak, yeah. and it continued to get better and better and better. And we kind of thought, "What would make this even more special?" And we thought bourbon. So that's when Will got the bourbon barrels from West Ave. Yeah, so I got the bourbon barrels from Chris. And then these ones actually right here. Yeah, it aged the last six months of its life in there. And then, yeah. uh, Sexy. And then we bottled it. So this is not really something that can ever be replicated. I was going to say. Like, We're to, trying. To, 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 to this <laughs> yeah. extent, exactly as this bottle, no. No. Okay. Nothing will ever be exactly as. So that's why this batch, only 1,200 bottles were made. We released 1,000 and we have... I think less than 200 of the bottle, original bottles left. Um, to sell uh, stashed. Yeah. Aging. So we, we we're selling this at $60 a bottle at $2, <laughs> two bottles max per person. Um, kind of, again, following the queue of a lot of breweries that are doing limited Sass releases. Bellets, yeah. Again, not, not the, not the rationale of saying, Oh, we want to create demand for it. It's about, I'd rather more people try it because yes. I'm so um, just amazed at, at what this actually is um, yeah. and how it drinks that this is honey 
that fermented center so for almost three years and has now created something that is like this. I want more people to believe it because we want to play more and more and more with these unique styles of meats. Like here in front of us is cognac barrels that's fermenting wild with yeah. Chardonnay and honey. Right. That's going to be part of the cask collection, which is what the Rosewood Old Smoky is. Right. Um, rum barrels above us here, same thing. So yeah, these are so barrels nice. of rum. Those are old former rum barrels we're going to be using to make honey wines in. Um, yeah. as part of this series and where this goes we have no idea but we're starting yeah. and that's what I think is important where it came with this and uh, why it's such a cool story and, and something I think is uh, I'm really proud of yeah. that's sick man it's such a unique it's product so awesome. yeah yeah, yeah. It's just like a little you wouldn't have much more than what we just had after exactly. dinner take a nice little DJ yeah, yeah. or whatever exactly that was fantastic. Yeah, with a cigar though, or with cheese. Like I really like like yeah. vermouth exactly. and amaro and stuff. Exactly. Like at the end of a meal, like you said, digestive. So I think it kind of does the same. We can do kind of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that bourbon. It really just kind of feels like like a really nice shot of Jameson. Like it's not trash. Yeah. Or even Sorry, the Jameson's trash. You know, like at the end of the day, I try to do that Dylan's plum jib. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really just it's the finisher. Yeah, it's that's finisher. it. That's but why I, I like it. It's only nineteen. It's not like forty three. Yeah, yeah. Like exactly. it's doable. And I'm a, I'm. Yeah. A it's, like, it's like a sherry. You know, you don't. Yeah. You can drink a glass of it, and you don't feel like you're you're wasted like off one. Which is you know, it's always a time and a place. But yeah, of course. <laughs> I, nothing wrong with being trash. This time of year, especially. Yeah, it's the yeah. holidays. It's a holiday. It's a festive. Um, that is sick, man. The last question actually was, uh, what music do you listen to when you brew slash make wine? And we kind of discussed this with regard to other people earlier. Yeah. I mentioned about Fred Niger from, uh, uh, the main and how he plays Gregorian monk music in his cellars and then he'll come in and wash the floors and put on Van Halen and stuff like that. Um, he's an inspirational force for us as well. Uh, we've always, we visited him together this year and, uh, that was a really cool experience to go through his cellar with him. Um, what I've noticed, um, so I come and go from the vineyard a lot because of I'm in Toronto trying to sell wine and, and do events and, and back and forth a lot. Um, this harvest was a very interesting harvest because of the time uh, of how long the days were and how consecutively the days happened to harvest. But the team um, varies a lot. They'll go from punk rock music to sublime to uh, Walt Disney classics oh, to wow. uh, Pink Floyd. Cool. Uh, the genres are, are all encompassing here. Right. Um, there'll be days sometimes where it's very quiet in the cellar and all you hear is opera music playing. And that's and, and Ryan will come in and just put it on because he just wants it to play in the cellar. Um, Meaning this room, room, room right now. Mostly the, the tank cellar, okay, yeah. Okay. Um, and, and so it's interesting to see and watch this, you know, and, and some people have Queen days or Beatles days, you know, and they, they just play all day. You know, yeah. and, uh, it's really what uh, the team needs during yeah. harvest time. If you know you have like a long day on a sorting table where you're going to be standing there like for Sandstorm. hours and hours. <laughs> we listen to Sandstorm on repeat after like eight, oh, yeah. 18 oh, yeah. hour shift. Oh, yeah. Happened. Happened. Yeah, Happened. it got us through. I'm necessary. But Do you ever just play music in this room when no one's here being the, like, Things are aging in barrels. And, we haven't uh, done much of that in No, I, I usually just no. pop. Like, if I'm here working late by myself, I, I will just listen to classical music. And yeah. Kind of... Is there a reason for that? Is it because you like it or because you feel like it's like does something to the. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's again, without getting too much into it, like, I feel like every little thing, if it's your own personal energy, if like you're in a bad mood, it, like, the yeast are responsive to things like shifts in barometric pressure you know mm-hmm. stages of the moon their fermentation as 
pressure drops, you'll see their fermentation activity decrease too. So for me, like I'm not a super like crazy spiritual person, but like I know that if I'm giving off bad vibes, like I can almost taste or feel it in the wine. Yeah. So it's, it's all about attitude. And if you know, music calms you down, like then it kind of puts everything else at ease. Hmm. And it also impacts like my personal way of tasting because my if my mood fluctuates my ability to taste will change too and i might be more sensitive and more inclined to react uh, in a stronger way whereas if i come in with a calmer more negative energy i can kind of taste clearly and see well maybe i don't need to intervene here that it's just kind of a stage so i don't know that's interesting that is incredible. it makes sense. yeah like yeah. is there is there an effect that it has on a they're biological living. level yeah. they're living and Maybe. Is there an effect that it has on a personal level as a, a maker? And I know we bought sure. organic meat because, like, whatever's would be healthy for you. But also my issue is what happens to the animals because they're in a very stressed state sure, yeah. before they die. But the impacts of the Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. So from what they eat as well. And they're happier and they die of yeah. state. That makes a difference. Makes it be better. But I feel like that's also why. Well, that's, that's, that's it. Because yeah. you think about the moment right before it happens. And yeah, then things stop like this. So yeah, they, so, they, oh, they just scared the whole time. And that's, yeah, that that yeah. energy you're eating, that energy and consuming it. Energy. Yeah, yeah, and a kind of more ridiculous. Well, not ridiculous because like uh, this is an interesting one. Like I don't know if you guys believe in that. Like when Mercury is in retrograde, which we just finished a couple of days. I know ago. the expression. I have no idea what it means. So <laughs> it's like I don't know the exact definition of it, but like I think from like the third to the twenty third of December, it was in retrograde, and in that time, you're not supposed to sign any contracts. You're not supposed to make any major decisions because oh, it yeah. like fucks with your life. And honestly, like I'm not like a huge astrologist or anything like that, but I really felt like in that time, like in this time, I felt like a whole bunch of things, small things, kept going wrong. In the time that we actually had, we were waiting for this contract to be mm. signed for our business, and it still just came through after that. I'm like, thank God, because I didn't sign anything during that time. Yeah. So I was just curious. Maybe yeah. you're not aware of it. Maybe not. Then I was wondering if, in a time like that, I'll have to talk to Denise. She's a, a lady who works here, and she's a into uh, that thing. She's a spiritual being. Um, she's a Reiki master, and, and oh, she's sick. an aura. Her, she's a she's a ball of energy. Yeah, um, key energy stuff. So everything. Like she's, yeah, okay. she's she's sick. like I don't know. She's just out there um with it but she's the most amazing woman you'll ever meet she's just she's a former cop from hamilton uh turned our one of our honey packers here and she's got mm. an amazing wicked palate that just speaks her mind is when she tastes anything so maybe she might know like if there is probably like does. A, i'll ask her about the retrograde energy yeah, yeah just, specifically mercury because that. that's the stuff that i keep seeing people online like tweeting like oh fuck i just need mercury to just go away right now it's <laughs> just killing me and it's just really funny because how consistent it is. And I was just, I never even thought of it. And literally until you said about energy, when you think about it, like, like you said, yeast are living organisms. And if yeah. your energy is not aligned, yeah. or you're not feeling good, then you're not going to taste right. Then you're going to affect every single barrel in yep. this room is going to, you know, mm -hmm. feel that as ridiculous as it might sound to some people. Like it's, it's a real thing. Yeah, so fair. I wonder if these like it's a moon stages it's essentially it is, yeah. it's, like, it's something to do with where that the alignment with mercury and the moon and, and earth or something like that and it's like it happens three or four times a year for mm. maybe two to three weeks and Crazy. It's, it kind of just misaligns people's stuff you're supposed to just kind of like get through it it just keeps messing with your situations huh. or i wonder if that it literally never occurred to me until you just saying it now mm. that like maybe it could mess with why it would be a production or something because there is living organisms involved. Yeah, right. Maybe totally. it's, it's to do with completing it or something. Anyway, interesting concept. Yeah, very cool. Um, I think we've done pretty well. This was a uh, two and a half hour podcast. Wow. 
one. There we go. One, yeah. one of us is definitely uh, at, at the top end. This is Flubai. This was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, guys. This was, was like genuinely phenomenal. Um, I really hope that you guys found this interesting because this was something different for us and like still aligning with beer, but on some like, you know. Different wavelengths. Different, exactly. Just a different way of looking at things and just some basically the same stuff, just in different kinds of bottles. Um, where can everybody find you guys online? I'm sure you know, Will. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> online at, uh, at Rosewood Wine for any major social feed. Um, Wine, yep. And then rosewoodwine.com for our website. Um, Fantastic. And our website at, at Rosewine has all the way to find us and contact us in any kind of email format or whatever. It's a mailing um, list people can join to find list, out what's yep, popping. There's newsletters. We try, and keep that, we try and keep that really low key so people aren't being overloaded on a daily basis because well, that's nauseating. No, it's annoying. You know. um, and we want to offer, like have it, there's an advantage to being part of it to some extent. Of course. Um, but we want people to come taste it to believe. We want people yeah. to come have not as, as, as much as an in-depth experience as this, but if we have the time, we will give people such an experience because tasting is believing. Yeah, and we've stood Amen. by this since the beginning, and that should be a t-shirt. Yeah, tasting is believing. Yeah. Give me the episode yeah. name. There we go. Next one. Um, <laughs> and and I really I really stand by that. I think yeah. people need to come to wine country because yes, um, you know, most of them are small producers, and we want to just share our stories, share the products with people, come learn and and enjoy and taste, um, and go from there. You know, yeah. make your own decisions. That's that's all up to everyone. But uh, come explore and at least. Give it a shot. Hundred percent, man. And as a as a beer person, and you know, we we come here multiple times a year, specifically for those reasons to yeah. meet people like you guys. And you know, like we had a fantastic experience with Ryan when we hung out. Like I hadn't been because we've been in breweries for so long, I hadn't got to see the back end of a winery mm-hmm. for the longest time. And I was like, oh man, this shit is crazy. It's yeah. just it's the same thing, but like it's it's different in this more hectic way. And and it was it was very much in alignment with beer. And I feel like if you are into beer. Like you absolutely appreciate what you guys have to offer, like with this range of stuff today. Like you know, this is like I've never seen. There's no winery that I've ever personally seen can offer this level of uh, uh, variation in uh, you know in products. Yeah, it's a broad range for sure, and I think that that versatility or the the offering um, allows us to hopefully find. Uh, that any consumer can find something that they like. Yep, you know, that's hundred percent. That's really cool to see. And all the all the folks we've met, you know, working in the uh, the the cellar door there, you know, and everyone knows their stuff, and they can talk you through whatever you need. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. even before we, we met right with Ryan, we had a bunch of tasters, and you know, like they were helping us through. It was just it's a pleasure, and there's a whole bunch of great stuff in this area as well, oh, whether it's you. breweries and wineries, and uh, you just really can't go wrong. So thank you again, guys. I really appreciate it, man. Like this was really something different for us. And I appreciate you taking the time. This was fantastic. So guys, if you enjoyed the episode, give us a thumbs up. If you listen this far, this was lengthy as shit. You know, you're going to give us a thumbs up. (laughs) Hit subscribe below, wherever that is. Hit the notification bell. Follow us on social media at BAOS Podcast. And check out the long form audio so you can hear from very attractive, somewhat bearded gentlemen like this. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes. So it's the same thing. On Stitcher and TuneIn and Google Play and all that good stuff that is it guys thank you so much get in here